When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Who's Ricardus? He is. So, Richard, what do we do next? Is that I, I have no idea what we do next. So you didn't tell your friends that I was trying to kill myself when you found me? That sound like someone who has a plan? Why would Jacob say you knew what to do? If- Because everything he ever said is a lie. What are you talking about? You want to know a secret, Jack? Something I've known a long, long time? You're dead. I mean that figuratively, right? No, I mean literally. We're all dead. Every single one of us. And this, this, all this, it's not what you think it is. We're not on an island. We never were. We're in hell. So I'm not interested in what Jacob said. In fact, maybe it's time we stopped listening to him and we started listening to someone else. And that's exactly what I'm going to do. to go back down the hatch it's the lost rewatch podcast here on post show recaps talking season six episode nine ab eterno or as mike bloom likes to call it fab eterno because it is such a fabulous episode mike all things just keep getting better it's just a great time isn't it you came into my life, Richard Alpert, and my world <laughs> never looked so sad, but also really well done. Oh, my God. Uh, it's time to talk to the lost devil. Yes. Uh, and you know what? We should be saying welcome, everyone, or perhaps in a more festive tongue for this episode. Bienvenido a los down the hat. <laughs> 
a lot of Spanish in this episode, yeah, Josh. It's true. It's true. We the, will, the subtitle writers getting a real workout this episode. They really are. They really are. Uh, it is. It is. Uh, it is time, Mike. We've we've been waiting for this one. We've gone through a lot here over the last several weeks on Down the Hatch. <laughs> you know, we've been through a lot we together have. here on the podcast. We have. We've gone through so much to get to Abiturno. It's like uh, the Man in Black said in the incident. You have no idea what I've been through to be here. Uh, well, you do if you've been listening to the podcast for the last couple of months uh, that we have been going through quite the journey to get to finally an episode, Mike, that I think like all of us can, for the most part, objectively say, like, this is a great episode of Lost. This is like, a, it's, a, it's a, for many people, this is like an S tier elite episode of Lost. Uh, you know, it is not, it is not going to be that across the board looking mm. at the scores the from, from the listeners. Uh, I think it goes as low as a three is as low as I've seen it. Um, oh my goodness. Who I, is that? Is that not, no, that doxing. Someone, rep- someone representing Mr. Whitfield is Magnus nope. Hanzo. Give the three for this episode. The Magnus Hanzo stands definitely have reason to not like the this Stanzos. One. <laughs> the Stanzos definitely do. Uh, but by and large, this is like a widely adored episode of the show understandably so i talked about this a bit last week but this episode is see it's weird for me to use breath of fresh air because i feel like that comes with some sort of connotation that i haven't been enjoying season six so far which i have there have certainly been parts of it that i really have not enjoyed and have been frustrated by but on the large i think there are some really interesting moments in particular the first part of season six we sort of marked more of a transition period last week into maybe some of the stuff that season six is more so remembered for but i think we can objectively say and i will put the the o and the objective there this is a high watermark for season six at least it is just a beautifully enriching episode it's a big risk as well in a season full of them i mean if you think about it, considering how much the show has been propelled forward, considering that this is the final season, you only have 18 episodes to land this plane, and we're going to dedicate one to just finding out the story of Richard Alpert that's tar- told largely in flashback. You know, we have all these other characters and mysteries to deal with. It's a big gamble to take, but my God, does it pay off big? Because it's an episode like this, Josh, that really makes even I think the more the most uh torn asunder fans from a mental perspective of like what is the show doing at this point? I don't know what's going on. Well how are they gonna do this with these characters? I don't like the flash sideways. Even if you have your qualms with that, you have an episode like this which calls back to the flashback stories as of your we're finding out a lot of new information about a character like we did in those first few seasons. It's an incredibly emotionally heart-tugging journey. I think it's one that symbology is incredibly rich and actually thematically connects back to a lot of our characters' journeys so far. I mean, I guess given the archaic nature of the flashback, it makes sense to say, but I do feel like this episode is a bit of a callback to what some people would consider those golden days of yore on Lost. And it's in a season that has been full of those types of callbacks to get one in the forms of structure and thematic aspects, uh, which is differently tinged to things like we go to the Kate episode and the Locke episode and the Jack episode. This feels like uh, maybe more of like a qualitative callback to the first few seasons that 
than a quantitative one. Uh, no, the quantitative callback is next week with the package. Oh, boy. Uh, sorry, I had to steal a Bloom joke. Um, <laughs> hey, wait a minute. That joke's, the joke's missing from my desk. You yeah, stole it. I took it. It's me. Uh, yeah, this is a this is a really, I think for me, more than anything else, um, this is like, I like... I, I I gotta just like give it up to Nestor Carbonell. Like this is one of those episodes In, where I incredibly so. I, I I even said this in our watch along with the patrons on Monday. This might be for my money the best single episode performance that an actor gives on the show. Period. It's certainly up there. I don't know if I could go all the way that far, but I but I think it's it's definitely on that list. Um, and for me, I think that there are some like there are some moments of wobbly writing in Abiturno. There are some scenes that I. I think like could have been sped along faster. This is a long episode. It's a 48 minute episode. It, of it Lost. is in fact, aside from finales and two part premieres, the longest episode of lost ever in terms of runtime. Uh, so like you could feel that, or at least I can feel that uh, watching the episode. Um, and I think like some of like the, like the, the man in blacks choices in this episode are just bad at certain points. Like there's definitely a few mm. like wonky things. And like the fact that like, it begins with an Alana flashback is sort of like curious to me from a structural standpoint. There are like a few things where like it it like there are like there are blocks in the Jenga tower that are loose. Uh and like uh like you could like imagine like uh this thing falling over if you like knocked the wrong one. I don't think that's quite how a Jenga tower works, by the way. I <laughs> yeah, think I'm I got not it sure wrong. when you're doing the hokey pokey yeah. while you're playing Jenga or yeah. something. Uh but I think that for me the performance from uh, Nestor Carbonell as Richard Alpert is just so exceptional that it's going to be a perfect episode, at least as far as the scores are concerned for me. Like, I I really like I, I have it at a 4.2. I think that when I line up like all of the various 4.2s I've assigned throughout <laughs> Lost, like I would put this on like somewhere in like a medium spectrum of the 4.2s for me. I'm not as high on Abiturno as everybody, uh, or not everybody, but as many people are. Um, but the stuff that does work for me, namely the Richard Alpert um, uh, performance from, from Nestor Carbonell, it's just so, so good that it does mitigate a lot of like the the other like issues that when I think about them are fairly nitpicky in the grand scheme of mm. things. Um, it's just it's just a really impressive uh, episode to watch from from an acting standpoint, um, from like a costuming standpoint. I love I love how he looks in this episode. Oh, you know, I'm God, always on he wig looks watch. So, he looks, he great. looks so hot. he looks so hot with the beard and the long hair. Yeah, I thought that you meant like literally physically hot because he's like stomping around the island in suspenders. And stuff like he does. I love, the, I love the suspenders though. He's giving me like Che Guevara from Avita realness. You know, he looks great and he he plays it so well. And frankly, uh, you know, this is a, I think this is a pretty strong Jacob episode as well. Which we'll it's, talk about. I, I would argue this might be Jacob's best episode ever. Uh, uh, we'll, this is this. We'll, let's revisit the, qu- the yeah, question well, when we get to what they died for because I think that's maybe competitive with it. Maybe not. I don't know. It's been a minute since I've watched it. Um, but I, I think like outside of that, of all of the Jacob, uh, scenes that we've gotten so far, 
think like the one with him and Richard on the beach is the best. Uh, so yeah, I really like it. I, I really, I really, really do. I, I think that there are other episodes uh, of that 4.2 category that I would put on uh, before I put on Abiturno. And I think, frankly, there are episodes that are not quite 4.2 that I would rather watch than this one. Uh, just to be like really, really honest about that. But that doesn't mean that I don't think it's a magnificent episode. I think part of it is I'm not like as connected with Richard as a bunch of other people are. I think season six did do uh, a decent amount of damage to him as a character so far. We've talked about a, yep. a good amount of that. Um, and so like for me, like Richard just isn't one of those like A plus level characters on on Lost. Um, that being said, he has such a ride that he goes on in in this one. And while it is a detour from a lot of what we are dealing with elsewhere in the season, it's a welcomed one. Um, you know, I think that this is one of those storylines where we walked into the final season with like a list of things that we wanted to know. And somewhere on that list, depending on how you prioritized it, the royal you um, was like, what's up with Richard Alpert's age? And so they give you the episode where like, when you like line up all of like the, how this happened stuff, like maybe it doesn't like totally add up to the thing that makes the most sense, but like it emotionally makes so much sense. And I think that that is always where lost succeeds the best when they go for the emotional argument over the logical one. And this is uh this emotional argument's a real winner. That's the thing for me. Again, I do not want to besmirch the eight slash nine episodes that came before it, though I think it is pretty nice that this is season six, episode nine. Uh, (laughs) But the fact of the matter is lost season six has certainly made me feel things at points. There are certain scenes like, uh, you know, Juliet's death in LA space X, like Jack talking to Dylan in lighthouse, like the Ben and Alana stuff in Dr. Linus. But this is the first episode, and honestly, maybe one of the only episodes of season six besides the end, that I would say on the macro level really makes me feel something. Because that's the one thing, too. We have been through this game. We've danced this dance so many times, Josh, of introducing a tragic backstory for a character. But almost on the level of, you know, the tragedies that we experience with characters like Desmond, to not only introduce Richard Alpert, like you said, check that item off your lost grocery list, but also to do it in such a tragic yet beautiful way that complicates this character that, to be completely frank, was far from complicated to begin with. In fact, you could argue up to this point, Richard Alpert's pretty two-dimensional. The only other quirk we knew about him is that he doesn't age and he is the intermediary for Jacob. That's outlined at the very beginning of this episode. And so to get just a wealth of information about them and done in such an interesting way. I do agree that maybe there are parts, specifically the beginning and the end, sort of framing devices for this episode that could have needed a bit of work. But man, I just wanted to live in that middle flashback section for a long, long time. I just thought it was immaculately structured. I think it is a fantastic representation of the overall ideas of season six of what the island serve it serves as and Jacob and the man in black as these two players of a game with people as its pawns. I think this serves as 
uh, a very easel easily takes over across the sea in terms of you know we we need that we can use the metaphoric way to describe what the island is. I don't know if we need glowing holes in the ground necessarily, but I think it just really checks all the boxes to me of not only having some fantastic character growth, but I think also filling in some mythological gaps as well without doing it necessarily in a way to raise a whole bevy of other questions like something like across the sea does. Totally. Um. So we're gonna talk about it all. We're gonna get into the whole episode of course we'll get in your feedback as well which you can always send in down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com uh that's down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com or you can tweet at us at round howard that's me at a mike bloom type that's mike uh you can tweet at us you can send us your feedback that way you can also talk to us in the post show recaps patron discord support the arts go to patreon.com slash post show recaps uh support the arts uh you can watch episodes of lost with mike and i monday nights at 8 p.m eastern in the post show recaps patron discord for the low price of five dollars a month uh so consider signing up we would love to have you in there um mike before we get into all things ab eterno i think it is wisest to throw this to our sponsors because we're really going to be in the jungle for quite a bit of time let's get the ad break out of the way we're going to throw it to our sponsors when we come back we shall begin our full-on conversation of ab eterno just a minute Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right. We are back. Let's go forth into the jungle. Tucker Gates directing Abiturno. Melinda um, Sue Taylor and Gregory Nations, the writers of Abiturno. It airs on my friend Billy's birthday. Uh, <laughs> Owen's birthday as well, in fact. Uh, on March 23rd, 2010. Happy birthday, guys. They'll never listen to this. I don't think either of them watched Lost. Uh, and it centers on Richard Wait. Alpert. Were they the the exact same age? Like, were they exact birthday twins? Yeah, they're birthday twins. Whoa! That's wild. Uh, So happy birthday to my birthday twin friends. Uh, Both of them patrons of Post Show Recaps, because that's how good of friends they are. Uh, They've probably never listened to a single podcast that I have done, but that's okay. They're supporting us where it counts. So we appreciate it, No, actually, I gotta report that they listened to... They did listen to Lost on the Hatch. Unfortunately, they did listen to last week's and probably shut it off after five minutes. No, if they'd heard Count Jacula, I think they might be in. Um, But it's the Richard Alpert episode. And thank God... uh, Yeah, because last week was supposed to be 
we uh, last week was the Count Jacula return, and we had worried once upon a time, Mike. We thought that this timed out that Abaterna was going to be the Halloween episode. Uh, instead, we <laughs> we had we were able to get the recount Jacula out of the way last week. Uh, this is um this is a thing that I always forget, Mike. Um, is that Abiturno begins with Ilana and Jacob and continuing that scene from the incident. Uh, yeah. We start the episode with Jacob coming to Ilana and like she's all bandaged up and he needs the help with protecting the six remaining candidates. And that's like the continuation of the scene. And it's like the whole campfire sequence of like, what are they candidates for? They're candidates to replace Jacob. Um, but nobody knows what to do next. And we like yeah. continue the flashback and now she's unbandaged and she seems like healed Alana does. <laughs> yeah, did, what, did they just keep it on cosmetically or did Jacob touch her and like whatever burn she suffered got cured? That was fast. Uh, like if Jacob has that ability, then like I guess I do buy that both he and maybe the man in black have the ability to bring people back to life if they choose to. Like that's like some restorative stuff. We've seen Jacob like maybe, uh, you know, like bring John Locke back to life, right? Like we, we've talked about like, is that a possibility of what he did when Locke fell out the window? Um, so I guess like his healing powers sort of speak for themselves. We've seen him before, but this is really impressive that she's suddenly completely unburned Daenerys Targaryen style. Um, but this mm. whole opening sequence, Mike, that we start here uh, with this like lead up to like ask Richard, he'll know what to do or ask Ricardus, I suppose. He'll yeah, know can, what can, to do. Can we bring that up for a second? Because I think we mentioned it briefly during the incident, but the whole Ricardus thing gets infinitely more complicated when we know that his real name is Ricardo and not Ricardus. Is this a thing like, you know, when you get a uh, bar mitzvah, you have to take on like a, a Hebrew name besides your your actual name is this the sort of thing where once richard becomes an acolyte of jacob he had to change his name to ricardus under him um i'm now furious that we didn't get the richard albert bar mitzvah episode <laughs> uh, who would who would be there would it just be him and jacob yeah i don't know man black is invited he just you know he can't drink the wine he could try you this know? is the best man of Sheffitz I've ever had. Yeah, yeah, that makes me upset to think about uh, how that didn't happen for us. Uh, yeah, I really think that we should have gotten that. Oh, hey, yeah, congratulations think- to birthday Billy. Uh, he just uh, texted me uh, completely serendipitously. Just got a job offer. Uh, very oh. nice. Happy birthday. Oh. Happy is he going to be? Is he going to be Jacob's intermediary? <laughs> yeah. Did he text back? Yeah. How would you yeah. like a job? Yeah. So everybody just uh, tweet out a quick congratulations, Billy. Uh, I think uh, he'll appreciate that. He'll never see it. Uh, maybe I'll show him. <laughs> if there's enough, I'll show him. Um, Listen, this, this, is an, this is an episode about faith, right? This yeah. teaches us put things out there in the universe and sometimes they might happen. Yeah, that's kind of weird that that just happened. But uh, all right, let me compartmentalize that as best as I can. I'll text him back after the podcast. He'll be like, why didn't she text me back i had such good news and i was like sorry i was in the middle of shit posting about lost for three hours and i was talking about you uh anyway um what do you think about the alana stuff let's get back to that like is, yeah why do we start here is this is this is this a demerit is this fine like where are you at with that it's I would say it's fine, but not necessary. I would say it's by far the weakest part of a very, 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 very good episode of Lost. It feels a little needless. I could understand why it's here, because sort of the missing piece of the puzzle, listen, there are many pieces, missing pieces of the puzzle of Alana. Alana's puzzle is basically only about three pieces at this point out of maybe 20 by the end of it. But one of the things that we do know 
Jacob went to visit her, and then she approached the shadow of the statue in the incident and said, like, I'm looking for Ricardus. I guess if we really needed to know how did she know to look for him, maybe we go there. I think the main thing to take away here is Jacob's affirmation that Richard Alpert has all the answers, which just digs in that knife further on Richard's perspective of, oh, this guy thinks I know all the answers. The one person who wouldn't give me answers and is now dead and has left me with no answers, and I am now learning that there are answers he has withheld from me, thinks that I would hold all the answers. Well, ha, 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 giggle, giggle, giggle. I love that Richard Alpert giggle, by the oh, way, yeah, very Ron Swanson-esque. Ah! Yeah, it's so uh, Ron Swanson esque. It's the the Eric laugh from Billy Madison. <laughs> oh yes, laugh. more Billy Madison stuff, yep. please. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Richard Alpert really is the puppy who lost his way this episode. Yes, <laughs> the puppy who lost his way. Uh, he really is. Yeah, uh, you know, in the industry, my friend, uh, that was the, <laughs> that was the revolution. <laughs> Yeah, and I think uh, maybe in response to our podcast, this is when Damon Lindelof responds, but that is quite possibly the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. If that, <laughs> ever, if that ever happened, I think it happened a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, there was a certain point where that ended up occurring. So, yeah, I, I don't necessarily love it, especially considering how incredibly strong the Richard Alper episode is. I think there is a world where they're able to start it off, honestly, with him riding the horse. Maybe just cut to him, like, walking through the jungle though i think we'll we'll talk immediately about this whole we're all dead scene which i actually really like uh i think that maybe there's some room to start with this stuff non-flashback stuff but not necessarily have it around elana it's only really seen as a means to an end to get jacob to say i trust in richard and if that's the case, to have to once again lead it on to Alana is, uh, especially given, like you said, like we have two separate scenes. One of them clearly is just a complete repeat of the incident to the point where they decide, yeah, we're not going to put her in all the makeup again and all the bandages. We're just going to pretend that they unwrapped her and sat her up mummy style shows that they're just sort of, all right, I guess, I guess we have to throw this in now to really reestablish who Richard Alpert is. Yeah, I do think it's a little it's a little strange. Um, I did, uh, while watching the episode, I did just like have this, like, not a eureka because I've been feeling this way for a little while now, but I did just have like sort of this moment of like re solidifying that, like, the problem with Alana has absolutely nothing to do with Alana, the person, uh, Zuelka Robinson, the actress, uh, anything like that. Uh, it's really a, uh, like a, a confidence in the writing of the character that's clearly missing. Um, because I think she's good. Like, I like her around the campfire here. I like that she's, like, coming to these people with, like, trying to form action plans. She has a goal. She has a mission. Like, they could have kept pushing with Alana, and I think it would have been fine. I don't think that there was an issue. I really don't. I think that this was another one of those, like, oh, well, we're not feeling it, and we think that everybody's going to be feeling this, like, Nikki and Paolo style, and then they were wrong. I think that they, I yeah. think that it was okay. I think it was fine. Uh, I really do. Anyway, this isn't the Alana episode. That episode actually doesn't exist. Uh, so. Yeah. This is like Lostpedia technically counts this as an Alana episode. Maybe it's just because of that framing, even though it's only for two scenes. We should also mention here, uh, speaking of maybe giving some excuses to Alana, uh, to go back to what we talked about in Dr. Linus, the whole Alana believes that there's only six candidates left. That's a Jacob thing. We, we learned in this episode, Jacob was the one to specifically put in her head. There's only six candidates left. So poo poo on Jacob, no poo on Alana for making that mistaken assumption. Okay, uh, but don't do that either. Like, don't poo on anyone. 
Um, so, Good idea. So they're around the campfire. It's the sound clip that we heard at the start at the start of this. It's Richard Alpert's weasel laugh, uh, <laughs> and this is when he says, "Let me tell you a secret, Jack. You're dead. I'm dead. All of us. Literally, we are. We, we are literally dead. This is not an island. This is hell." And Hurley's like, no, dude, I went through this back in season two. Are you seeing Dave as well? This is not it. And I feel like, man, this is such a dangerous thing to do and really doesn't help the argument that some people still have. Like, no, they were dead the whole time. Like, with, like, the wreckage (laughs) at the end of the whole show. Like, Do you think people stopped watching an Abiturno and they're like, oh, that's all I need to know. They answered the question eight episodes ago. I just, like, I mean, like, I I really do enjoy that aspect of this episode of, like, the exploration of the metaphor of the island as hell and malevolence and trying to keep that at bay and, like, the tension between the angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other and, like, trying to find your own way through those two uh, opposing sides. Like, I think it's it's all mesmerizing and like really well crafted, but it is just like so like I was so struck by it this time. Maybe part of it is because like I recently um, encountered somebody who uh, who who finished watching Lost for the first time and like did have this takeaway of like oh great so they were dead the whole time and it's like no 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 uh, and I feel like this episode's argument with Richard is just like it's a really dangerous thing to engage in when you do know that like the sideways is to some extent you know purgatorial at least. Um, so like I I don't know if I'm I'm not necessarily like condemning the choice other than like sort of remarking on um, the boldness of it without a, a true value judgment. I just think that like it's a bold choice to like have this episode be Richard Alpert on the show here in the final season saying we're all dead, and then the show ultimately saying no they're alive the whole time, but there is an afterlife, and we're going to show you stories from that. Well, I think from that perspective, then. The Lost fans are the John Locke and Damon and Carlton are the are the the Ben, right? They're saying the box is a metaphor, John. Richard isn't literally saying that they're all dead. And so don't take that at face value. But I think it speaks to now if we're talking about we talked a lot about like Sawyer, whether or not he was regressing as a character in the way he had been behaving up through Recon. I think the Richard here is a complete regression understandably so given what we're about to see like this is a guy who came to the island believing he was serving penance for something very very bad that he did for hundreds of years he had been conditioned that this was not the place and then when that all gets shattered his entire worldview is gone as he vocalizes back in dr linus where does he go back to back where he started in a manner of speaking back to what he believes and so i do think it's a great through line for the character But I agree if you're reading it as face value of, oh, the character that's been literally been said to know the most says that we're all dead. This means they were dead the whole time. It's not a great thing in the favor of those that are taking this text literally. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think so. Um, But I should I should also mention here that as you know, Richard ends up leaving. We Jack finally finds out about John Loki. I'm a little surprised because right. because I'm assuming this is nighttime, right? It's a few hours after they have that nice beachside reunion in Dr. Linus. I'm a little intrigued that this is not the first item on the agenda to tell Jack and Hurley and other people about. Yeah, I mean, I guess like... I guess this is, uh, you know, it's not terribly long after they've come back. I think you get that point. Um, so should it have come up a little bit earlier? probably uh but i think like it come it comes up you know relatively quickly uh but i think like that it happens sort of like in a little bit of a throwaway moment here in abiturno 
to some extent is almost a little unsatisfying. Like I kind of yeah. want to see like Jack's reaction to that news in sort of a more fleshed out way. Um, we'll really get him like kind of engaging that in a fuller way. Uh, and even then, like not like a really full way in next week's episode in the package, like is when he's going to start, like he's really going to, it's the way he's addressing it is going to be a lot more about how he's like trying to position himself with son uh, and less about like dealing with like there's a guy running around with John Locke's face on. But it is a fairly casual response to this news when this had been a really big part of Jack's season five journey was like to get back to the island to, uh, you know, to some extent uh, as a mea culpa to John. Um, and so like finding that out here, but like really not even like spending too much time on it uh, is uh, is a little is a little weird. It's definitely a little yeah, yeah. bit strange. Here's another question. Did Richard Alpert not tell them about this on their walk from the Black Rock to the beach? He seems like he's relatively catatonic, though, Mike. Like, he seems like he's not really, like, talking to people generally. Uh, like, mm. He seems like he's still pretty, pretty locked in, no pun intended, uh, on, like, his, like, we're all dead and this is a nightmare stuff. So, like, that doesn't... Uh, that doesn't hit me one way or the other. I think like Richard not like I think that walk back to the beach was probably remarkably awkward. <laughs> yeah, just a really awkward silence. You could tell that Hurley would be the one to try to, I don't know, come up with I spy games or something and just be promptly rebuffed from these other two men. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I think that that could be. Yeah, they could. Put, uh, what did they play? Uh, uh, what is it like? Punch bug. What's that? Yeah, game? Sarah's ditch dog. Yeah, something like that. Oh, um, Zitch Dog. Vince could show up for Zitch Dog. Uh, so Hurley is talking to a ghost. Uh, and so Jack thinks it's Jacob. And Hurley's like, not all ghosts are the same, Jack. <laughs> yeah, I, I love. I also love bringing this back. I feel like we talked about it a little bit in Lighthouse, but I feel like the our general Hurley ghost talking stuff, it's been a while since we've really accessed that. And if you know Spanish, like myself, if my flawless voice at the beginning of the podcast was any indication, uh, he is talking to Isabella, obviously. He says, apparently, okay, what can you do? Yes, I can help you, but I don't know how to find him if I don't know where he went and then sort of trails off when Jack finds him. So yeah, if you knew Spanish, you could sort of get e clues even beforehand as to who Hurley might be speaking with. Interesting, interesting, interesting. Um, so that conversation is happening. Meanwhile, Ben is trying to tell Alana that like, Richard knows nothing. Uh, this is not like, you know, leaning on him as the person who we need to be going to is probably the wrong move. Uh, I've known him since I was 12 and he doesn't know anything else. Um, this ends up being the thing that like kind of like on ramps us to like, uh, no, I was a kid. Richard wasn't. He doesn't age. And let's yeah. find out why. And and this is, you know, sort of eye-rolling for those of us that have been binging and know the show backwards and forwards, but I think a necessary evil for yeah, the... Yeah, you got to set it up. I get it. Yeah, like, we haven't really talked about this for a while. People might have just jumped on for the last season and, and not been, been it's been totally. months since the last episode is aired. We just need a little bit of a place setting yep. as to, and especially through the, uh, the, this, the straight man that is Frank Lapidus of responding to all this weird crap of like, oh my God, this guy can't age either. Yeah, no major issue here. Um, I do think it is worth stopping down and acknowledging. So Ben is like, Richard doesn't know shit. Uh, and like Jacob, we 
see tell Alana ask Ricardus he'll know what to do uh and so like Richard is the person who we've been talking about for a while now as somebody who's like so behind the times when like everyone at the temple knows what the monster rules are and the candidates and stuff but Richard doesn't know and Jacob sets up Alana for extraordinary failure here and like go and talk to Richard he'll know what to do at this moment in time where everything is so critical not great Jake Ah, listen, you could have stopped at Richard set someone up for extraordinary failure and it still would have applied to like 75% of the characters on the show as he's about to vocalize later on here. Totally, totally. Um, all right. So that's going to leverage us into the flashback that dominates the vast majority of the episode. Uh, and we go to the Canary Islands in the 1800s. Uh, What's the year? Do you have that written down anyway? 1867. 1867. Uh, Richard Alpert in the Canary Islands. I was there as a wee child once upon a long time ago. Were you? Well, you met Richard as a child? I remember absolutely nothing about it except we were on some family vacation that was like somewhat work related, I think, for my dad. There was a guy there named Webb. And I was like, wow, Webb is a wild name. Uh, I remember that as a kid. Like, that was my experience of the Canary if, Islands. If you ever write a character into your fiction, can you call him Webb and he'd be a wild guy? Yeah, I was like, wow. I never heard of Webb as a name, and I've since met some webs. They're all oh, great. They're all great. There's a there's a web of webs. They're yeah, all connected the, the in web, a certain way. The worldwide webs. But, but this this is one of those really fun times when they do like an island s setting, right? Like we see the this debonair version of Nestor Carbonell riding on this horse through the jungle, and it turns out that no, it is not the island just yet. It is the Canary Islands. Richard is used to some beachside property, but in this case, he has yet to find himself on the island. Correct. Um, but poor Isabella, his wife, is not doing well. Um, she uh, looks as bad as Richard looks incredible uh, with the with the with the shirt and the suspenders and the hair and like the real sort of like uh, Daniel Day Lewis, Last of the Mohicans sort of Ooh. like uh, somewhere between Mohicans and There Will Be Blood. I feel like he's got <laughs> like a little bit of Daniel Plainview, but like hot Daniel Plainview. Uh, there is definitely like a little bit of a DDL thing happening with Nestor Carbonell as flashback uh, Richard. Should MIB have offered Richard Alpert and the Black Rock a milkshake instead uh-huh. of water? Yeah, that would have been great. Uh, yeah, drink it up. Um, so Richard on horseback, like, uh, I, he just looks amazing. He really does. And like the music is so great. The Giacchino score is just incredible. Giacchino in particular, like this is an episode that I feel like he really just absolutely nails it with the aesthetic i think he if i would project myself into him i would imagine you hear about an episode that mostly takes place in the 1800s instead of 2007 or 2004 alternate timeline you're going to be able to have some fun with it in terms of creating more archaic uh orchestrations and i think he does it here right like the soul violin that plays we're going to hear it obviously a lot throughout these sound clips but i think they were able to use a lot more string music which i feel like is a little rarer on lost nowadays and so i just think it, it what this flashback does so well it does so many things well but i think one thing it does is it really sets things in a distinct mood and it's odd to say, considering that we just had an entire season of time travel, but like they really do a great job of fully immersing us in this world, whether it's things like the set of their house, the set of the prison, you know, like you said, the costuming of everyone, the set of the Black Rock, which is just so, so good. Really, 
all my kudos go out to like the art department and props department and everyone behind the creative aspects behind reimagining 1867 because I really do think it's done incredibly well and fully immerses me back in centuries removed from where we currently are. All right, so poor Isabella's got the berculosis. Uh, she's <laughs> the Juliet berculosis. She's got the Juliet berculosis. She's coughing up a lung. Um, it's very, very bad. She's very, very, very sick. Richard is going to need to go and get her help, which is going to be the gist of what is uh, discussed in this first sound clip that we will listen to of Richard and Isabella talking on what ultimately becomes Isabella's deathbed. Let's listen in sound number one. Me buscar al doctor. Si Dios quiere, mi amor, regreso antes del amanecer. Espero que tenga más suficiente. drum josh allow me to continue to beat it over the course of this podcast just beat it nestor freaking carbonell he's so good he's so good and so he does if you do your research he does come from uh, a spanish background i believe he lived in mexico city and caracas for a while but my god i just have so much admiration for him people like him and, and yunjin kim and daniel day kim for being able to speak a second la- a non-English language on an English language show like Lost and just do it so incredibly seamlessly. Like, it again, this is another part of immersion. It's done almost entirely in Spanish, this first part, and they sell it so incredibly well. He speaks it like the back of his hand. He's able to convey so much emotion behind it. And that's the other fun thing as well, is that we are seeing a very different Richard Alpert in any way, in many ways. Not just his hair length, not just his grooming routine. But again, Richard Alpert up to this point was fairly rote. There were certainly times when he was surprised, but this is by far the most peaks and valleys that we have seen from this character, even in this scene alone. Uh, and it shows just like 
where he's come from, right? That he was not always the man that he was in many ways. I know that obviously you probably don't know what happened in the seed, given uh, that it is not in English, but just hearing the emotions behind the actors for both Richard and Isabella, like tells you any, everything and anything you need to know about the relationship inherently. Yeah. And she's like, you know, pretty obviously not doing well. Um, like she's very, very sick. She's, you know, gaunt. She's pale as a sheet. Uh, and Richard is basically saying like, I'm going to go to the doctor. And she's like, don't bother. And he's like, no, I'll do it. I just pray I have enough time. Uh, and he's like, you know, really making it clear that if anything ever happens uh, to her, he's going to be a wreck. And she says, don't worry, we'll always be together, um, which is going to be a, you know, a real through line of the episode of like the spirit of Isabella uh, being something that sticks with Richard um, and was never really alluded to in a major way elsewhere across the show, um, but is very much a big, 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 the big deal of of this episode. So he's promising right. he's going to say for she gives him the necklace and then he rips off into the into the rainstorm to go yes. and meet uh this trash doctor uh who lives half a day away so let me take this opportunity to also point out a little theory that i had brewing ever since we did the watch along and one of the reasons why an incredible story like abaterno is made even more incredible if you look at it through this lens so we have this idea of the candidates brought up, not only at the beginning of this episode, but throughout season six and the various journeys and reasons as to why these people arrived onto the island and were possibly viable people to replace Jacob. What my theory suggests is that the journey of Richard Alpert to get to the island is basically a culmination of many journeys of the remaining candidates so far and almost serves as a really fantastic thematic weaving of you know jacob's gonna say at some point that the reason why he brought people to this island is because they were all broken and he felt like the island could fix them in a manner of speaking and that richard is sort of the the omega representation of that as sort of piecing together voltron style all of these other storylines and, and i'll and false. form the head Exactly. And all the all the reasons that other people are brought as well. So I the reason why I bring it up here is because Richard's insistence of I will save you, I will fix you, cold play style is very much <laughs> out of the Jack Shepard playbook. Yeah. Right? This idea of he just can't learn to let things down. Now obviously this is a very different scenario, but I think Richard's promises to Isabella and himself of he will save her, he will fix her, no matter what the situation is, is very much out of that category of almost uh, self-destruction via a fervent belief that you have to do something. Um, I like that a lot. I think that that's really, really, really great. I think that the ways in which he's sort of an amalgamation of so many of the other characters who are still here to to pick up um, the torch where, where Jacob dropped it and burned in it uh, is, is really, really compelling. I think that you can see that on Richard's journey. And like, obviously, like Richard is an important person to Jacob and is an important person even to the man in black. Like there's something sort of like magnetic about him um, where I think like there is something that's just like i don't know i I guess like this is a question i have for you mike is like what do you think it is with richard because it's such a big part of the episode of like why is he viewed by both jacob and the man in black as such an important piece on the board is it just that like this is such a solid 
human. Like he's just like such a hu- like for someone who becomes you know effectively eternal, right? Like immortal in many ways. Um, he is so human, Mike. So I think. You know, what it ends up being is Jacob's going to say later on, right, that that Richard was far from the first person on this island. But I wonder, maybe my headcanon is that Richard is the first person who's been on the island in a while, in a long, long time. Hell, maybe even since the days of, you know, the across the sea stuff when Mother ends up killing all those people that the man in black was in charge of. And so maybe from that perspective, if it's the game between Jacob and the man in black, like this is the first serve in the volleyball game. The first ball is up in the air. This is truly patient zero of this game. And so Jacob is able to make a pretty brilliant play, in my opinion, and be like, great, I'm going to make sure this guy lives forever so he can't die so that, you know, he'll be able to potentially stay in my court that much longer you know, I because I, I don't want to necessarily make it feel like Richard Alpert is the most special person in the world. Because, again, I think what makes his journey incredibly compelling is that he's not special. Uh, that's the man in black's character. No, right, he's not yes. special. He is he's not crazy because that's special's mother. Exactly. He's this he's this every man from a manner of speaking. And the faults he he undergoes and the trials he undergoes, again, echo on all of these other seemingly normal people that are brought to the island as well. I like that a lot more than this idea of, oh, Richard is sort of like this special human who is the biggest tabula rasa ever, such a blank slate. I, I like it more so as just, all right, uh, you know, it's it's almost like two uh, two dogs are, are fighting for some meat, and here comes like, uh, you know, a, a steak just gets thrown in between the two of them. That is sort of what Richard Alpert is at this point. He is the first person that's part of this experiment and due to the consequences of his immortality he ends up changing from a variable to a constant Mm, i really like that i think that that tracks um richard's on horseback he rides through the rainstorm he goes and sees the doctor eating this sloppy chicken no utensils that's how you know it's a flashback denethor style where's billy boyd singing in the corner oh yeah eating cherry tomatoes um and so he's not gonna go with richard because richard doesn't have enough money he offers the necklace that isabella gave him that's not uh good enough and so they get into like a little bit of a of a of a push and pull and very much Desmond Hume style, Mike, mm-hmm. to like put another yep. character's yep. journey yep. onto Richard. Um, Richard uh, like shakes this guy and like doesn't know his own strength, pushes him against the table, uh, and this dude just like cracks his head against the table and insta dies. Um, people's heads on Lost so <laughs> soft. The softest <gasps> heads. Uh, like little cantaloupes. Like, what is this? Uh, like, I mean, like, it, this is this is at least two times that I could think of on Lost where somebody just, like, gets bopped on the head and their, like, heads, like, explode scanner style. Like, this shouldn't happen. Uh, the <laughs> yeah. doctor is, like, instantly dead. Very easy LVP point for me. Like, the doctor sucks anyway, but, like, the, like, just, like, the ridiculous fragility of this guy. Come on. Yeah, for him to be like, I don't care if your wife, girlfriend, whatever's dying of TB. It's it's raining and it's a while away. So let me just sit here. Yeah, I mean, at least with Inman, right? It was on the rocks. Like there was a very hard surface to bash his head on. I'm not. He hit his head on the on the table. 
it seems, uh, which, you know, is a fear that I have consistently as, as the father of a, of a two and a half year old. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm not sure. Well, you know what? Later on, when Richard is going to be presented in front of Whitfield, they are going to say he has strong hands. Do they mean from like a superhuman perspective? Yeah. Is that Richard's other superpower that we don't talk about a lot? Like sort of how, like when you think of Wolverine, you think of the claws and you probably think of those before you think of the healing factor with Richard Alpert, you think of like the immortality. Are we, should we be, we're thinking too much about the healing factor with Richard Alpert. Should we be thinking about the claws? Exactly. He's the reverse Wolverine from that perspective. Wolverine of lost. Yeah, and actually there's a scene, right, where uh, where the man in black approaches him at a bar and asks if he wants to join him, and he says F no, but yeah. he doesn't say F, and yeah. that's the one PG-13 F-bomb they get in there. Yeah, and I think Richard Alpert at one point is going to have the line, I'm the best there is at what I do, but what I do isn't very nice. And then yeah, also and I'm, when I'm, uh, uh, his friend Morph dies, he's Morph! And it's actually interesting. So I believe uh, Anna Paquin ends up being someone who gets stranded on the island and he tries to have sex with her, but then she sucks all the life out of him. Oh, God. Okay. Got to get away from this. Um, So the doctor (laughs) is dead. Richard goes home. Isabella is also dead. Uh, And that's uh, it's it's just terrible on top of terrible. And that's a little John Lockean, is it not? Right? Like the mounting tragedies, the fact that John Valjean style, he ends up doing something terrible to try to do something good, right? He ends up stealing the medicine, absconding away with it, but either way it was too late. Yeah. And so now he has effectively Should have taken murdered. the loaf of bread while he was there. Exactly. At least then you have Javert on your tail. Yes. Uh, but uh, effectively, he ends up, you know, murdering somebody because of getting medicine for a completely faultless cause. Yeah. Um, so he gets arrested and he's going to be executed. And he thinks that, like, maybe just maybe he's going to be able to get um, some at least some absolution for his soul. So here comes Father Suarez, the priest, who uh, hopefully can give that to him. Um Let's listen in and see if we can kind of like grok how this is going from the tone of the conversation. Sound number two. Te traje un poco de comida, hijo mío. No tengo hambre, padre. Pero esta tendrás después. ¿Me permites ver tu Biblia? ¿Está en inglés? Sí. Yo me he estado enseñando yo mismo. Isabela, mi esposa y yo íbamos a ir al Nuevo Mundo. Queríamos comenzar una familia, una vida nueva. ¿Estás listo para confesarte? En nombre de Espíritu Santo. Amén. Perdóneme, Padre, porque he pecado. Padre, yo... Yo... Maté a un hombre. De verdad me arrepiento. Y le ruego, le ruego, Padre, por el perdón de Dios. No. No te puedo otorgar la absolución por un asesinato. Padre, fue un accidente. Yo no quería matar al Señor. Pero lo hiciste. Por favor, Padre. Debe, debe de haber alguna manera para recibir el perdón de Dios la única manera de regresar a su gracia es a través de la penitencia Sí, claro, haré lo que sea pero tú no tienes tiempo para nada mañana mañana te van a colgar 
mío, me temo que el diablo te espere del infierno. Que Dios tenga misericordia de tu alma. Let's check another box, Josh. Someone speaks English in order to make their way to America to escape their current fate. Yeah. So uh, the answer to like, can he be absolved? Apparently, is no. You killed that dude, and you're going to burn in hell for it. Father Suarez yeah. sucks. Yeah. Well, also like the way he delivers it. I don't know if it's exactly comes across in the way you just listen to it, but he is so smiley. Like so oh, matter yeah. of fact, grinning back he to loves Ricardo. It. He's like, Oh he, no, you're gonna die, dude. Uh and you're gonna yeah, have so deserved can, it, I should say. So you can tell there's a little bit of a finger on the scale here as he gloats about the I'm afraid the devils await you in hell. I mean it's it also goes back though to an interesting theme that we even explored all the way back in Dr. Linus, right? This idea of absolution, uh, and this idea of if you think you could do even the worst thing is there redemption that can be found from that? And there is a little bit, though I think some of it matter factors into like forgiveness of yourself more so than forgiveness from others. And Jacob is going to present the argument to Richard later on that nothing that happened before matters from this perspective. And so the reason why I put this in here is because I think it really sets up not only how much of an a-hole the priest is, but also I think the mentality that Richard has going onto the island and why he gets really suckered in for a while to you're in hell. You're going to have to kill the devil to get Isabella back. Like this is a dude who has been not only given a death sentence, but has been flat out told by someone whose religion that he practices. No, you are screwed. Like basically in a matter of hours, you are going to hell no matter what. Yeah. Uh, this guy loves it. He's so happy to tell this dude. He's so happy to tell Richard that he's going to die. Uh, just like could not be more thrilled to be like, oh, but by the way, like you are a bad person who doesn't deserve to be alive anymore. Um, it's so it's so bad. I hate this guy very, 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 very much uh, that the uh, he says the only way to earn forgiveness is penance, uh, to which I say, I love your penance. <laughs> yes more desmond stuff is that all right here's your penance and it's just like uh what's her name just dressed up in like 1816 70 mm -hmm. garb like Sonia Walger? my name yeah. is yeah my name is faith widmore i'm a distant relative faith widmore wow uh oh all you need God. is a little faith yeah a little bit of faith um so apparently he's just gonna get executed and he's gonna go hang out with the devil he says the devil awaits you in hell and may god have mercy on your soul um, <laughs> Much like the that guy said, Damon Lindelof says after he listens yeah, down the hatch, right? Exactly. For mapping onto that Billy Madison character. Yeah, yeah. I word you no points. Yeah. But the devil, my friend, that was a revolution. Um, so they're gonna hang Richard, uh, and uh that sucks. But then it turns out that he's going to be fine because Richard speaks <laughs> English. He speaks English. Uh he has strong hands, and this dude, Jonas Whitfield. What a great name for a character on Lost. You could have like given me like an ABCD uh like uh you know quiz of like names that were on Lost and uh like you could have had Jonas Whitfield on there and I don't think I would have gotten that that was a Lost character's name. Uh, right, cuz we, we don't Jonas say Whitfield. That's the thing, it's very evocative of this time period, right? Like I think I don't know many Jonas Whitfields today if you are shout yourself out, but it does if you say what hey, we got it, a Bram, maybe we'll get a Jonas yeah. Whitfield showing up. 
Jonas but Whitfield, I do think, please write in. But I do think if you said like, hey, if I were to tell you someone was named Jonas Whitfield, what do you think they would look like? I'd be like, probably has some sort of like pulled back hair with a little bit of like a mustache and a goatee. I'm assuming takes place in the pirate era. So he's wearing one of those colonial coats, probably has a bit of an air about him, probably has the propensity to kill slaves in a bad situation. Uh, but yeah, here is another Venn diagram between this and the other candidates, you know, much like Sawyer is incarcerated for his crimes in a, in a manner of speaking and also makes some deals to get out uh, and ends up sort of out of the frying pan into the fire of other situations. Speaking of fire, I also feel like it's a little looser, but I do think there is some Kate stuff from Richard's perspective as well, right? Like this ability to do anything for the people that you love as extreme as Richard accidentally killing someone and stealing the medicine and Kate burning down the house with Wayne inside, like the things we do for love to quote another very complicated character. Yes. Uh, so Jonas Whitfield is going to recruit Richard to come to the new world. Uh, so he is, uh, he has avoided the hangman. Very nice. Um, Though he will end up getting uh, strung up by a parachute in the jungle uh, at, uh, at a later point in time. Was it a parachute that he was up that the that the man in black put him up in? No, I think it was just one of those like bag. generic, yeah, generic Rousseau-esque canvas traps. Yes, uh, canvas traps. Uh, former sponsor of this podcast. <laughs> uh, so we go and we now we're in the Black Rock, and this is cool, and like it should just be observed that like. One of those theories, like, you know, you see Richard with the with the with the ship in the bottle and follow the leader. And you're like, OK, is he like, did he come from the Black Rock? Is that where Richard Albert comes from? And so, like, yeah, great. We got it. Uh, it's very satisfying when uh, when they set something up and then they follow through with it. Like evocative for me of Richard Albert comes from the Black Rock is evocative of like um, uh, the real Sawyer is Anthony Cooper or Claire is Jack's sister. Like the theories that are like, is that actually something that's going to happen on the show? And then it does like these moments are always satisfying. Uh, so I really do love uh, like seeing Richard on the Black Rock uh, is really yeah. cool. And then the other piece of it being like, how does the Black Rock wind up on the island? Uh, and how did the statue get knocked over? Two birds, one boat. Uh, we, we, <laughs> that's evocative. Sorry. Her, hurley bird, one boat. The hurley bird gets the, gets the worm. Uh, the black rock is what destroys the, the statue. Uh, that it's a roaring storm. Uh, one of the, one of Richard's compatriots on the boat says, I see the devil. The island is guarded by the devil. Which and, is a, a fun callback to uh, Rousseau's initial insistence, right? That Smokey, aka Cerberus, was the security system of the island and that, we're gonna get into many devil comparisons later on with the man in black. Yes. Uh, so the the boat is gonna crash through uh, the statue. The statue is destroyed, um, and Richard and everybody else will wind up on the middle of the island. And uh, whether or not they are in hell, hell is going to break loose because stupid Jonas Whitfield is going to start showing up and stabbing survivors of the shipwreck. <sighs> Uh, we've shipwrecked in a jungle, no fresh water, limited supplies, only five officers left. Sorry, so sorry. I'm so sorry. Definitely not team lift together dialogue. No. Definitely team every man for himself. Yes. Uh, from, from that perspective. But yeah, I just got to say again, how freaking awesome the set is the for set the Black is Rock. really, really cool. The Black Rock is one of my favorite locations on Lost. Uh, and especially because this is a this is like, a, you know, the alpha version of the Black Rock. Usually we see it in its desiccated state, and it certainly led to so many great scenes. But like 
seeing it relatively fresh, uh, especially when they just like are, are being bandied about, like much like the lighthouse, they did not skimp on the budget when it comes to these sets. And so I think everything, you know, was, was done pretty damn well. What I am intrigued about with the whole ship thing is, so we know that when Jacob and the Man in Black have that opening conversation in the incident, they see a ship on the horizon. I believe they've outright confirmed it was the Black Rock. So I guess the assumption is, what, to go back to our X-Men analogy, does Jacob pull an Aurora and cause the storm? And if so, did he not like that statue to begin with? Did he just purposely destroy the statue with the ship? No, you know what? I think so, like, Jacob, like, you know, uh, you know, in the beginning of the incident, we see, like, the day the Black Rock is going to show up, right? Like, and, yeah. like, he's like, you brought him here, and, he's, and he seems pretty smug about it. But when we're going to be hanging out with Jacob later on in this episode, when he's talking with Richard, like, he kicks the crap out of Richard. He's really seemingly like in a pretty rotten mood. And part of it, I think, is like, you broke my statue. Like, I think, like, careful what you wish for. I think, like, he summoned these people to the island, but I don't think that, like, he necessarily wanted, like, his house to get destroyed. <laughs> Do you think, though, he caused the storm? Um, I don't think so. I don't know that I don't know that he's got that level of power. Uh that feels like a lot to to level at uh at Jacob is like full control over the weather. But maybe, I don't know. I don't really see it that way personally. How about you? Could the man in black have caused the weather? Huh. Um well that would be kind of fun um in connection to John Locke, uh, you know, and like Locke's like apparent like predictive abilities with when it was gonna rain. So like to have the guy wearing his face be someone who has some weather manipulation would be cool. And also, then, if you're talking about, like, Jacob being pissed that his statue was destroyed, I could imagine the man in black would absolutely do that, right? To be like, you brought these people to the island? Great. They're going to break your stuff while you're here. Yeah, exactly. Uh, either way, whether or not he's responsible for the elements, the man in black is responsible for killing Jonas Whitfield and all the other officers on the ship. Oh, it's so good. And it, it's, it's done in a very great way. Like it's done in sundown of how there's very little actual visual of the smoke monster. Instead, we're down below with Richard and the others. And so we just hear the rattling above. We see, you know, it's, there's the effect, right? Of the blood dripping down before Whitfield gets snatched out like the blood sucking lawyer in Jurassic Park. There's just a lot of really cool visual and sounds that are being done with the monster in this episode, as opposed to, again, what we get in, like, L.A. Space X uh, of, okay, let's just have it do an entire fight. I like what they did here and in Sundown of, all right, let's scale it back a little bit and go back to those days when the monster was heard but rarely seen. Because, again, as I keep saying, oftentimes with horror, what you imagine is more fearful than the actual visual itself. Totally. Uh, so they're all dead. Man in Black responsible. Smokey McSmokerton scans Richard Albert. He's like, oh, I like this guy. Mm. I like this he's, guy. Oh, he's sexy. I like him. I like him. Um, so Richard, we get to spend some time with him as he's trying to like get himself out of those chains. Uh, he finds like a little like piece of metal to pick at his locks. Um, I think like some people are like, what are you doing, Richard? You're never going to get out that way. <laughs> Those people never watched the Shawshank Redemption. Uh, yeah, this, this is, this is rough. This is always a part of the episode that stuck with me. Cause I would say if there is, if there is one type of pop culture that I absolutely cannot stand, it is survival horror. It's just like my anxious brain gives me a pit in my stomach 
that it doesn't go away for days. Like the tiger trap that Anna Lucia dug. And it's, there's no coming out anytime soon. Just like watching Richard have to go through essentially his own version of Gerald's game, right? Where he's like chained to this wall and trying to get the water and he can't. And he sees this boar eating the others and he loses the nail as a result of it. Like it's so, oh, it's so cringy to watch. That's really in, in a manner of speaking. Yeah, that's really interesting. I didn't know that about you. Uh, I don't think I would have had it on my list of like Mike Bloom doesn't care for survival horror. Yeah, I just think for for me, it's a matter of and this goes all the way back to, again, one of the reasons why Lost was one of the first dramas that I ever watched is because in general, especially growing up, like I had such an emotionally volatile mind that I did never want to put myself in a headspace of something bad happening to a character. Yeah. And so to have that happen and then magnify to the effect where it's like dragged out. For someone, just like it, it absolutely unnerves me. Absolutely, spine spine tingles me, and not in the good way. All right, uh, filing that for later. Um, so, oh Rich- boy, <laughs> nah, I'm not doing anything that I'll totally forget by the end of this podcast. Um, Richard is then going to be visited, I guess, first by a boar. Uh, love that we still remember that boars. Yeah. Uh, so here's the a boar. Here's a boar eating some dead peeps. Yeah, as you as you do some B O D Y S. They're getting pretty ripe. Getting pretty ripe. And then uh, a little bit later, we see another familiar face as uh, the ghost of Isabella. I think we should put Isabella in quotes and mm-hmm. discuss who or what this is. Shows up, and uh, the following scene occurs. <laughs> hear him like scream hoarsely for isabella and it's like is this even 
the same guy that we've seen play Richard Alpert for three seasons? He at does this point? feel like worlds away from from the Richard we know. So I need some help here, Mike. Um, who is this? What's happening? So Isabella shows up. Um, Isabella didn't die on the island, but she's a ghost here. I think I put uh, put that out there as like something that like I didn't quite, I couldn't quite square away. And you, uh, when we were talking about it the other day, you were like, "Well, Charlie as a ghost shows up at uh, Santa Rosa, and he died yeah. on the island." So like, I'm okay. assuming I'm assuming like Mr. Echo does too to play chess oh, with Hurley. Totally fine. Like that's good. Okay, so like, and we've also talked about Santa Rosa as like maybe like an electromagnetic hot spot. Do we want to say the same thing about the Canary Islands? Let's con- let's 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 canonize that. That's fine, right? Um. What's the what's the smoke monster doing fighting ghosts? Like what's the smoke like what is that? Like what's going on with the smoke monster yanking a a, a ghost out of here then? Right? Like if we're taking it this is actually Isabella, we've got reason to believe it is because Isabella shows up at the end of the episode and Hurley's talking to her and Richard therefore is talking to her uh through Hurley, a la uh, Demi Moore talking to Patrick Swayze through Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> Oda May Hurley. Um, yeah. So, like, what is this, though? Like, what's going on here? Because I've never really been able to fully wrap my head around what's going on here. And I think it's a little bit of an Abiturno hangup for me. Josh, it's a dream. Sure. It's a dream. I, I think that the next time we see Richard Alpert, he is essentially catatonic. Uh, I believe Nestor Carbonell said that production decided while they were filming that Richard had been there for about four weeks before the man in black goes to find him an entire month malnourished we have talked about both the man in black and jacob having their influence over certain dreams what isabella undergoes to me is not too dissimilar from the boon paste induced hallucination right when the monster is hunting shannon down i just think from this capacity the man in black wants to make it real because this is going to be the crux of the argument right the man in black's entire thing is no 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 i'm a friend i'm gonna free you you know your girlfriend she died because of the devil you have to go kill him this is essentially providing the weapon proverbially and literally to put in richard's hand to hopefully go kill jacob so i think this was entirely a setup by the man in black you know, could it be something that exists in reality? Sure. We know that the man in black scanned Richard. So I think he could easily create a copy of Isabella, much like the man in black possibly did with Kate's horse and what Kate did. But honestly, Occam's razor, which Richard probably needs at this point, <laughs> is that. No, keep the beard. I mean, it's probably just a, a dream or hallucination that was fostered by the smoke monster to create this idea that Isabella plants in his head, this logic of you are in hell, please help me. I got taken by the devil so that when he steps forward as this valiant white knight, not in white to say, you must kill the devil. Richard will take on the cause without any question. All right, let's, let's keep proceeding through the episode and let's put a pin in that. Um, Cause the man in black will at some point reveal like I'm the smoke monster. So like, I want to unpin that there. Um, First, let's have the man in black actually show up on the black rock and save Richard's hide. Sound number four. Here. Water.
Josh, believe it or not, this was a scene added by Damon Lindelof as a Stephen King reference. Ooh, uh, tell me more about that. So, specifically, this is a reference to a scene from The Stand, where, of course, the villainous Randall Flagg, uh, who actually, I believe, was sometimes called the man in black in the book, ends up showing up at the cell of, if you recall, I think his name is Lloyd, right? He's this, like, criminal who's arrested by the time the outbreak happens, and he basically says, I will free you if you do exactly what I say. Yes. And he does so, and Lloyd becomes one of his, you know, he's his number one guy, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And so they were really, Darleton was really inspired by that, and so I think they sort of worked for this scene to be in of the man in black's a similar force of evil to present itself as as, you know, wanting to free someone, wanting to do something good, but coming with a price at the same time, a transaction of, okay, I'll do this, but you have to do exactly what I say. Luckily, Richard does not go the way of Lloyd, but I think it's a really interesting callback to obviously an author that they reference many times over the course of Lost. That's cool. Uh, I can see that. I, I uh, really love the book, The Stand. Uh, the adaptations have been a little hit or miss for me. Um <laughs> You know, I think uh, they really had a good shot at it with the CBS uh, show, and they made some baffling decisions that totally mm. crippled it for me. Um, but, like, I love that scene in the book, especially. And I actually thought that uh, they did a really good job with that specific scene 
in the CBS adaptation. And you could for sure see uh, that influence on this scene of like yeah. uh, the devil coming and like uh, trying to recruit uh, an acolyte um, and the man in black doing that here uh, with, uh, with, with Richard. I think uh, you can really, really sense that. Um, and Titus Welver is also just so, so great in this scene. Uh, yeah. She's very, very ominous. It's, a, it's one of these things, right? How I think our wish list for season six, Josh, which is slowly growing is, Man, I would have loved to see more Titus Welliver. You know, it, it, it's nice to get the TOQ. We talked about how great he was as the Man in Black when the Man in Black is a good character in the first part of this season. But what Titus Welliver brings, his own sense of gravitas is just so freaking awesome. Uh, yeah, so getting back to the M-O-O-Oon spells, uh, you know, Richard Alpert of it all. So... This is a a big scene as well in terms of the way that these two characters are presenting. And this is, again, yet another thing I love about this is when we first meet Jacob and the Man in Black in the incident, through their clothing, we know Jacob good, Man in Black evil. But I love the way that these two characters are presented here, which is mostly through the Man in Black's perspective, uh, his own pitch, which is the Man in Black is no, no, no. I'm your friend. I'm the one trying to help you out. And Jacob, when we first see him, is kicking the shit out of Richard Alpert and right. drowning him in the ocean. So it really is presenting this this almost warped idea of, oh, no, the devil is actually the one who's the aggressive, you know, blunt one. But no, the devil is the one with the smooth tongue that is trying to finagle a deal out of you. And on that note of reversal, uh, obviously it would make sense that the man in black gives Richard water, considering he hasn't had some in weeks. But to me, it's also evocative of the whole choosing of the protector as well. Like when mother has Jacob drink the water, she says, now you are like me to Jacob. And I get a little bit of that sense from the man in black as well, right? Like it's almost implied when Richard is drinking his water, not a literal metaphysical thing like what happens with the water proper from the previous concept. But here it's more so like accepting a drink from him means that he wants you to become him in a manner of speaking. Yeah, uh, I could see all of that. I think that that really, really tracks. Um, It's a really cool scene. I love how the man in black comes and just like uh, seduces Richard in this moment. Um, And then like to make it uh, a little, you know, to sweeten the pot, he adds some roast pork to the menu. Uh, (laughs) When we, when we leave the black rock and we're now Do you you think that was, do you think he sought out that specific boar that was eating on his friends? Yes. Yes. A hundred percent. Yes. Oh, that's, uh, that's Bingley. I'm going to skewer Bingley alive and eat him just for good measure. I think that's exactly what's going down. Uh, so, uh, Richard and man and the man in black are going to continue this conversation outside. Uh, let's not be strangers, Mike. Let's be flies on the wall and listen in sound number five. You finished eating. You walk due west. Once you get to the ocean, you'll be able to see the statue. No statue. Your ship smashed through it. It's way inland. Broke it into pieces. That's where you'll find the devil. You only have one chance. Put this through his chest. Do not hesitate. Do not let him say a word. If he speaks, it will already be too late. He can be very persuasive. <laughs> how, how can I kill him with this? He, he's black smoke. No. I am. My wife is a relative. She was running from you. 
She was running from him. I'm sorry. I saw him take her, but I couldn't do anything to stop it. But if you are the black smoke, you, you aren't the only one who's lost something, my friend. The devil betrayed me. He took my body. My humanity. You, you killed the officers on this ship. I'm not the one you need to worry about. The devil has your wife. And you are going to have to kill him if you ever want to get her back. Murder is wrong. That is what brought me here. My friend. You and I can talk all day long about what's right or wrong. But the question before you remains the same. Do you ever want to see your wife again? Yes, I do. I love, love, love that they use the exact same BS language that Dogen gives to Saeed I know. in Sundown about yeah. the knife. Because it really just shows, again, the overall macro-theming of everyone's just playthings in this, the, the big game between these two guys, right? That both of them are able to use the exact same words against the other people to manipulate them into doing something for them. You know, it shows Jacob's not necessarily better than the man in black in that perspective, but just this idea and, and just an idea about society in general, right? That like with the certain texts, for example, if we're going back to the faith idea that you can interpret it any old way to suit your needs, take the same three words, give them to three different people. They can interpret them in completely different ways to suit their own perspectives. That's what the man in black and Jacob are able to do. Take the same knife, take the same exact idea that is, of course, false and put it in somebody's head to go accomplish what you can't do. How bad of a choice is it for the man in black to be like, no, I'm the smoke monster? Especially like after that vision, if we're calling it a dream, where Richard sees Isabella get like mangled by the smoke monster. Yeah, it's it's a I mean, it's a bold take, right? We talked about this questionable choice even in Recon when he tells Sawyer in private that thing. That he's the smoke thing. Maybe part of it is, again, in a similar way, he wants to feel like he is on, like, he's on Richard's side by revealing a bit of truth about himself. I mean, also, technically speaking, uh, the smoke thing did not uh, kill anyone he was good with. He killed all those evil captain, the evil captain and all the sailors right. that were killing all the other soldiers. So maybe the man in black could have certainly spun it in a way of uh, like, oh, uh, we actually are on your side. We took we saw that those guys were those evil white men were killing you. So we took them all out. We're the good guys here, Richard. So maybe that could have been an argument he spun as well, that the monster hasn't necessarily been incredibly evil to Richard in particular, but it still isn't a great reveal. It's a very, very big risk. Yeah, I don't think it's a good choice here, being like, well, uh, maybe it was like he's tired, and he's like, oh, I'm the monster, and Richard's like, you're what? And the monster's like, shit, shouldn't have said that. Um, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> totally, the, the devil took my body. It sucks. Uh, like, yeah. Shouldn't be worried about me, though. Uh, feels like a very, very bad, dubious choice. Could could it be a thing where, again, maybe this goes back to my idea that Richard is patient zero for this big experiment. Is the man in black just untested in this regard? He's just chomping at the bit and maybe makes some beginner's mistakes as to what he should or should not reveal? Well, I don't know. It seems like he's been this way for 
thousands of years at this point. You know, a long time. Uh, you know, we, we're you know, with 1867, Mike. Uh, like he's <laughs> been the smoke monster for centuries at the very least. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I guess that's I guess that's true. It's just bi- big move. Making big moves here, man in black, and big moves do sometimes win you the well, game, but sometimes know, they really blow know, up in your face. We're fair, we're often really high on the man in black, right? Like you know, it's like wow, what a devious machination. Uh, so like when he missteps, like he did in Recon, uh, you know, like the just being like a jackass in Recon, like we're gonna call it. And I think that he's not great in this one either. Uh, like uh, points for killing like the slavers, that's good. Uh, but outing yourself as the guy who killed your dream ghost wife maybe not great yeah though again he's he tries to write it off like oh no no, no the i didn't kill her the the devil oh, it wasn't did, me yeah. it wasn't me uh you know I'm, i know that i present i present rather menacing but look i kill only the bad people oh, just the bad i'm ones. on your side um all right so he gives richard the knife as you mentioned it's the same knife uh yeah and, it's the and, same and verbiage. We didn't clock this before when it first popped up. This is a, a Roman Puggio, I believe is the name of it. And if you look on the sheath, there are, uh, because it's Roman, there is uh, a picture, of course, the founders of Rome, Romulus and Remus, uh, the twin founders, sucking at the uh, the teat of the she-wolf because they were raised by wolves. But of course, given the lineage of the man in black and Jacob, it would also be a little bit of a cosmic joke, right, for them to be branding something that has the sort of rival twin brothers mythology on it. Yeah. Uh yeah, that's cool. I like that. I think that 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 tracks. Do we want to? Uh, do we want to refer to the monster as uh, as Romulus? Is that his? Is that who this is? Is he? Well, so Remus was killed by his brother. So Romulus is the killer. Yeah. So he would be Romulus, the mo- the man in black. No, the well, Remus oh, was true, killed true, by his true, brother. True, true. So, so I think Remus. I think Remus is still, like Remus is the, uh, the is the able here in this situation. Got it, got it. Um, so Richard is going to go out knife in hand. He's going to march to the beach. Uh, the statue is destroyed. It's obliterated. But Richard's like going to peek around the corner. He sees like the little door that gets you into the shadow of the statue. Uh, but he's going to get a nice surprise from another island inhabitant. Uh, let's listen in. Sound number six. What are you doing here? Who gave you this? Where's my wife? What? Where's my wife? I I don't know your wife. Did she come here on the ship? She's dead. Then why are you asking me where she is? Did you meet a man in the jungle dressed in black? Yes. What did he tell you? He said you are the devil. And? He said the only way I would see my wife again is if I kill you. I saw her here in this place. Where is she? That wasn't your wife. Yes, it was. She's dead, just like me. Dead. I, I am in hell. I know that I am in hell. You really think you're dead? Where else would I be? All right, then. What are you doing? What are you doing? You think you're dead? Stop! 
guess I want to live. It's the first sensible thing you've said. What's your name? Ricardo. Ricardo. Get up, we need to talk. Where is this Jacob Yeah, where's been? he been? So, uh, uh, at the risk of ha- uh, having Riley smash the unsubscribe button, <laughs> uh, like, this is the best Jacob that we get, and I think part of it for me is because, like, this is the most honest Jacob. Like, this is the yeah. most honest version of the character, where he is, like, in the middle of, like, being, like, competent leader. Uh, you know, that's probably generous, but, like, being, like, somebody who's in the leadership position, um, you know, he's the steward of the island at this moment in time. Um, there's there's that aspect of it, uh, but there's also still like the petulance is there, uh, like you know of him like being like kind of like indignant when Richard shows up to kill him. He's like, "Are you serious? I was so wrong about this ship filled with people that you're trying to kill me." Uh, and like, I think probably like some measure of like frustration, like you guys broke my statue like i think like that's probably a part of it Um, there's there's an attitude in general though there's a lot of retorts like oh she's dead then why are you asking me where your wife is yes Uh, or you know like i think he's tired i think he's mad i think he's cranky i think that like he feels like once again like he's losing this it only ends once argument and he's not loving that and i think like this is like somebody who's a little bit at the end of his rope that feels a lot more in line with like the versions of jacob that we're talking about where it's like uh, like he has a, a, a high stress assignment. He typically sucks at what he's supposed to be doing out here. And this isn't like excusing like his job performance uh, or even like, you know, like uh, like, you know, like washing that away by any stretch. I think what it's doing is like underscoring some of like the more human sides of this character that this is not somebody who's just like, oh, wise one who shows up to Hurley and guides you to the lighthouse and tells Jack to go look out across the ocean for a while. This is a guy who is uh, annoyed. Uh, And like, I like seeing that. Like, I feel like it's a dimension that we were missing. I could not agree more. Frankly, this is the most interesting I've seen Jacob because to your point, and like I mentioned before, I what I like about Lost is when it presents things as demystified. This idea of, yes, the, the wise one, Jacob, who had all the answers. If he's just some dude, that, to me, is much more appetizing than this is a guy who's omniscient, who's omnipresent, who knows all. Because where do you go from there as a character? And I, I really like this idea. I really like mapping this onto across the sea of, like, seeing where he came from, dealing with his own trauma. And, I mean, the, the Jacob we see here the anger he has is not unlike the anger with which he takes out on his own brother when he throws him against that rock right much like he ends up doing to the poor priest uh and to kelman inman hits his head on the rock one time and like kills him essentially jacob has a little bit of an anger streak to him and so it's also nice to see him just uh kick some ass as well because jacob has been such a passive sit back character that he hasn't necessarily needed to spring into action at all and there's also just the i don't know i wouldn't say badass but like interesting idea of you know jacob proving to richard that he's not in the afterlife simply by essentially attempting to kill him and making him realize that because he still wants to live that clearly he is in no afterlife because there is still hope for him here because he still has this propensity to want to survive and also if we're going back to imagery what jacob does to richard is not unlike a baptism 
you know, um, Mr. Mr. Echo might be out there waiting in the water helping him, but I sort of got that imagery a little bit, considering what Jacob is about to do to Richard here. Um, I see that for sure. Uh, and I think, like, the fact that, like, once he's up, um, I think once he's up, like, now he's willing to have the conversation with him. And the conversation that he's willing to have with him, uh, now this is like the bar mitzvah, Mike. Yes. Uh, where, like, he's going to get you, like, now you're a man, have some wine. You know, like, I think is sort of, like, where we go with these characters next. Uh, so certainly, like, the religious themes uh, are not wrong to be observed uh, in in this <laughs> moment. You, you killed a bunch of slavers, now you'll kill some more. Man in black, key, please light candle number four. Oh my god. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying like, to think well, of well, it's, it's gonna be it's gonna be like Jacob and the man in black and yeah. that's it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so he's gonna have Richard come and light candle number uh, number four in in just a moment here. As he's like, he's beaten him up, he's dragged him through. I think he's worked out some frustration. Not for nothing, this guy has uh, came here with the intent of killing him. He had knife in hand. Uh, so like, if he's like a little bit like not thrilled about that, I think you could forgive the guy. Uh, and then he's gonna be able to sit down with Richard and like compose himself, collect himself, actually have a decent conversation with the guy and fill Richard in on what the island is all about. And on top of that, give the man some purpose. So how about we listen in sound number seven? What is inside? No one comes in unless I invite them in. There were others? Yes, many. What happened to them? They're all dead. But if you brought them here, why didn't you help them? Because I wanted them to help themselves. To know the difference between right and wrong without me having to tell them. It's all meaningless if I have to force them to do anything. Why should I have to step in? If you don't, he will.
Do you want a job? A job? Doing what? Well, if I don't want to step in, maybe you can do it for me. You can be my my representative and intermediary between me and the people I bring to the island. What, what will I get in return? You tell me. I want my wife back. Can't do that. Can you absolve me of my sins so I don't go to hell? I can't do that either. this time josh you get into some sort of fight with the brigand but then you share a cup of wine yep. and before you know it you have a job and immortality yeah uh i mean this is basically what happened to us when we decided to do this podcast uh we were like hey i think we're gonna talk about lost every week uh and i i, I like we were asked if we wanted to do this we're like well mm-hmm. will we will we live forever through it and they're like yeah you can uh, and so this is the and moment. And then that's I when think, Count Jackula appeared yeah. and bit us, right? And that's us yeah. living forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's why I think uh, Abiturno is such a special episode, especially for you and me, <laughs> because it really resonates with our own immortality. This is, uh, I mean, I the mirroring in this episode is also pretty fantastic. The Considering wine is that, like, a metaphor, look- John. Yes, exactly. Uh, drink up, me hearties. Uh, just look at drinks on me. Let's look at the fact that Last act, we ended with the man in black, you know, saving Richard. We open the next act with the man in black making an offer to Richard. We end that act with Jacob confronting Richard. We open the next act with Jacob making an offer to Richard. Like, it just does such an incredible distillation of who these two guys are and sort of what they're they're fighting for. Honestly, it's one of these things that makes me feel like, well, Across the Sea is better, certainly, watching it in the order that we did. It almost, like, isn't necessary. I at least feel like with this episode, I get so much implied through these two guys that I don't necessarily need it clarified in an episode Across the Sea. Because, again, when we go back to what the island is, all you need to go back to is that wine in the cork, which also apparently was a Damon Lindelof ad. Uh, he felt that initially it wasn't in the script and he thought that they, there was some sort of clarifier that needed to happen. And so a incredibly memorable lost metaphor was born. The wine in the cork, uh, the wine in the cork metaphor is perfect. Uh, like that's the island. That's the stakes. Uh, you don't need anything further than that. And I think maybe to your point, like the question of like where does across the sea need to go? It could be that it just needs to go into the bin, you know, and like it's just like, in the trash. Like remove it completely, and what do you actually lose? Basically, nothing. You're gonna wind up at the heart of the island anyway. You know, like we're gonna get there, mm-hmm. um, and like that almost maybe even makes that final reveal of like seeing it for the first time with our characters better uh you know like uh maybe we should be able to see that with jack and everybody for the first time um but like i i think um 
having that context anyway and having that be what guides us into this metaphor, uh, like, I think that's better than, like, the metaphor then setting up the literal oh, thing. completely. Yeah, because then it just feels needless to be like, oh, okay, now we have a physicalization of it, but we already, we understood it with the wine in the bottle. Right. And so, like, I really, I really love this. Uh, and I, I, I actually really do think that Across the Sea before Abiturno really works for me, like, having had that distance between um, the two episodes, but having seen that stuff first, because these are such, the versions of Jacob and the Man in Black we're getting in this episode are total progressions of where we last left them uh, in, in Across the Sea. So I think I think all of that is, is, is really, really, really strong. But just the idea of, like, the bottle uh, needing to stay closed, uh, all of this stuff will come pouring out and will stain your couch. Uh, like, you know, <laughs> like, I think is like, it's very apt. I think it's evocative. Uh, like, you can really, really, really feel that. I think it is um, a much better version um not much better version but like one of the best metaphors that we get on this show like you know get your magic boxes out of here and give me more like wine bottle motifs like i think like it really 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 works um and yeah. i just i i love how mark pellegrino sells it i think he sells it really 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 well and just the way that nestor carbonell like sells the reaction there is such a wide-eyed quality to richard in this episode of like struggling with like if he can't be forgiven, then he just never wants to have to ever face that. And like, he's in this spot right now where, um, he's like being confronted with like the magical reality of maybe I don't ever have to confront that. Um, to the point that like in the very next scene, which, you know, we're moving into is like when he reunites with the man in black and the man in black's like, ah, you let him talk to you. Uh, I understand. He's very convincing. If you ever change your mind, let me know. And by the way, I found this, and it's the necklace from Isabella. Uh, and Richard, how does he take that? Like, he doesn't, like, treasure it. He doesn't, like, hold on to it tight. He buries it. Like, he puts it underground because this is like, I can't look at that. You know, mm-hmm. like, that's sort of, like, his thing. It's like, I'm not going to be able to look at that anymore. Um, and I think, like, that is, like, deeply, deeply powerful stuff for, uh, you know, Richard's, like, first major action as an immortal person. Yeah, so a lot about this scene just works in so many ways. Because, like you said, while Richard is so wide-eyed and open he is the sense of reason to jacob to be like jacob tries to explain his whole rationale of like no i can't do anything it's all meaningless if i have to tell them everything and richard's like yeah but the man in black isn't playing the same rules you know like you made up the game here but if you're not gonna be hands-on with them he will and that's why you're consistently losing and so this is sort of like the campaign strategist that jacob needed right and so he realized that in a way he found his own loophole here. And we talked about how maybe Richard, unfortunately, is not as much in the know as you might have thought initially. I also really like the choice that Richard makes here to ask to never die. Because you think on paper, like, this is sort of a weird idea. But again, that's why I played that priest scene earlier. Look into what he believes is going to happen the second he shuffles off this mortal coil. He is damned to hell for all eternity. That is where he's going eventually. He wants to delay that journey as much as possible. And so I think it makes absolute sense for a man who is absolutely fearful of death to essentially eliminate his fear by taking it out of the equation entirely. I promise you'll never die. Uh, yeah. And he goes through with that. And um, 
that power remains in place until uh, it doesn't by the end of the show. That like the ability to die at least seemingly returns to to Richard Alpert. Um, but Richard denies the man in black, and the man in black sort of like hems and haws like, "Oh man, I thought we'd be friends." And like uh, Richard gives him the white rock that Jacob gives to Richard to pass along to the man. Yeah, in that's black. The, the, there's the. Do you think that again? Maybe this is why Richard was patient zero. Maybe this was the beginning of the inside joke uh and it just keeps getting passed back and forth and i the man in black this is typical man in black stuff right to be like if you go with him you'll never see your wife again which is technically true but also if he went with the man in black he'd be dead and so he would be able to see his wife and so that is really what the man in black means i think that's probably right um all right so that's the end of the flashback portion of the episode or at least um for richard's uh role in it um we slam back into the present and uh we get what i know you you feel strongly is the best scene of the episode right is what we're about to get into yeah, so this is a meaty one, uh, much like a boar. So, so prepare yourselves. This is five interrupted minutes oh, wow. of Richard coming back to unbury the cross, something that Jim Fells noted, which I really love from an imagery perspective. When Richard initially buries the cross, there is like a little sapling with two branches. Now he goes to uncover it to finally go back to the deal that the man in black made him, and it's fully sprouted into a tree just to show how deeply rooted if you will this offer has been in his life how much richard has put down roots on the island and it's going to then culminate into not only hurley being able to show off his ghost powers again but a truly beautiful moment of closure between richard and isabella let's uh let's Let's no further ado let's get into it sound number eight are you listening to me i've changed my mind I was wrong. You said I could change my mind. You said the offer would stand. Does the offer still stand? Does the offer still stand? Does the offer still stand? What offer, dude? What the hell are you doing out here? Did you follow me? Well, kinda. Get out! Get out! Hey! Did, didn't you hear what I said? I was just. I told you, people. I don't know anything. Just calm down. Why did you follow Your me? Your wife sent me. What did you say? I said your wife sent me. Isabella. She wants to know why you buried her cross. How do you know about that? Because she just told me. What do you mean, just told you? Isabella saw you dig it up, man. She's standing right next to you. A veces las personas les toma un poco. I don't see her. Dile que su inglés es magnífico. She's right there. She says your English is awesome. 
Tato wieder mit Decken. Cierra tus ojos. She wants you to close your eyes. It's okay, I'll tell you what she says. No fue tu culpa que yo morí, Ricardo. Por más que quisiste salvarme, era mi hora. Ya has sufrido suficiente, Ricardo. Te traigo. Yo. Yo haré cualquier cosa para estar juntos de nuevo. Mi amor. Ya estamos juntos. ¿Quieres llegar? Then you have to stop the man in black. You have to stop him from leaving the island. Because if you don't, todos nos vamos al infierno. Ah, beautiful, but with a tiny twist of sour it's a little bit of a sour bent at the end uh which does lead us into just to like sort of um just talk about it holistically um that final scene of the episode which is the man in black on the log and jacob coming and like what you expect an apology for me trying to kill you um and him just like you know like sort of like resetting like the stakes of like i'm gonna kill you and whoever replaces you i'm gonna kill them too and jacob gives him the wine to pass the time in that incredible smash of the wine bottle yeah. um, and then everything travels back in time and erica's there being like <laughs> Like, sure, should yeah, I give yeah, immunity yeah. away? Yeah, exactly. Well, look, we don't know. We're recording this on a Wednesday at 3.30 p.m. Uh, on November 3rd, 2021 to date this podcast. We don't know <laughs> what Erica did. We can't travel in time, Mike. What um, Erica does. Uh-huh. That could be a thing. Um, That whole scene is beautiful. It really is. And, like, I think the thing that I like the most about the scene, because, like, I'm happy for Richard, and I think Nestor Carbonell sells it so well, but, like, as far as, like, the, the thing about it that um, hits me the most as it pertains to like the greater fabric of the show is like seeing this incredible moment of beautiful leadership from Hurley um, who we know is going to be like in this episode like 
Richard's interacting with the protector of the island and the would-be destructor of the island. And so I think, like, to have him, like, he's, like, he's begging to, like, hear from the voice of God again, basically, by the end of the episode. Which one was the devil and which one was God? Exactly. And I think, like, the answer, ultimately, when we leave Lost is, like, it's not about the devil and it's not about God. It's about people. And, like, people being represented by uh, Hugo Reyes is so perfect. Uh, So for Hurley to be the one who shows up here and is, like, let me help you out. Let me talk you through this. Let me just like be a conduit to like reconnect you with like who you are and what you've been about and what you were about and who you want to be again. Let me straighten you out. Um, I think it's a really, really beautiful thing and just like such an uh, such an amazing um, piece of this episode. Um, you know, getting to have this moment where you talked before about like, um, you know, uh, Yunjin Kim and Daniel Day Kim um, and like the work that they do across the show speaking Korean um, or in this case, Nestor Carbonell speaking Spanish through so much of this episode. Getting Jorge Garcia in the mix there too and like having Hurley be able to connect with Richard on this level, I think is a really beautiful thing. Um, it's the Hurley piece of this scene, um, both like mythologically, but also very interpersonally that makes this such a home run, uh, you know, uh, emotional ending for Abaterna. It is a stunning scene. And I think it's a hallmark of how great this episode is that honestly, we care about this scene so much because again, 40 minutes prior, we did not know Isabella from the hole in the ground in which her cross had laid. But the show does such a great job in this episode of introducing Richard's backstory, introducing Isabella, and making us inherently care about these two, that when they have this conversation, it is not, obviously our hearts hearts are not swelling to the same extent as the conversation in The Constant, but like it is very evocative of that. It's these two loves coming across different planes coming together and it is absolutely beautiful the camera work is such a cool effect where essentially they pan behind hurley's back to have isabella appear and disappear i like the fact that as much as i agree that hurley does a great job here and it's fun to have him be the oda may for a second i'm glad it's not the entire time him talking after she talks that we eventually sort of drop that guys and make the assumption and it's just isabella speaking to richard like it's an incredibly small but warm scene, even just the gesture of her asking him to close his eyes, because that's what she asked him to do back in the very first scene that we played, right? It's like their little thing, it seems. And so I think that is a a real anchor for Richard. For lack of a better term, I think Isabella was his constant. And I think he was very unmoored at this point, not unstuck in time, but I think just like unstuck moralistically as to what he should be doing. And I think having this reminder to Isabella, having these words echo in his head that she told him back in the day of we'll always be together, really ground him and make him move forward of like, okay, I know what I'm doing now. I may be a little lost, but I have a compass. And this compass happens to have two needles in a cross shape that's hanging around my neck. Yeah. Um, I watched the package earlier today, uh, next week's episode. And like there are uh, it's not a good episode, ultimately, I don't think. But like there are a couple of aspects of the episode that I think are great. One of them is like Richard Alpert, man of action, kind of just returning. Like he's like, all right, I'm Mm -hmm. centered now. Um, 
you know, he like comes back. He's like, we're going to blow up the plane. Like he's got a plan, you know, like, and I think like Hurley being the person who like gets Richard back on track um, and the way that Richard's going to be on track for the next little while uh, is, is really, really good. And it's like very satisfying after like, you know, um, you know, we've uh, certainly, I have really like made fun of the Richard Albert character a lot in this final season. And I think that for me, it's been frustrating that like uh, Richard like should have been somebody who like knew a lot more than he ultimately did. But I think that this is like you know sort of like that Job quality like test from God of like Come on! you know <laughs> illusions, Jacob. Yeah, illusions, Jacob. You know, like I think like there is uh, there's a lot of that going on here that's like intentional in the story. I think when you when you map that onto like how much so many lesser than characters know, that's where my frustration is really centered um but getting like that story of like a person who thought that he was on the right side of things and he was doing things for the right reasons and ultimately feeling left like really rudderless and like betrayed on a holy level uh is again like a really powerful uh frankly relatable thing um and i just love how they how they managed to to resolve that in this in this episode and in this final scene um so it's really really beautifully beautifully done um do you have anything that you want to add about the final final scene i know we like kind of like ran through it pretty quickly of like that final flashback between jacob Mm. and the man in black and that's the thing is that like it's better than how the episode begins, but I would say this is something that I don't feel we necessarily need, uh, just because I guess it's a reminder of how dangerous the man in black can be. But to be candid, I honestly could have just been fine with, you know, the, the big chiller of, she said we have to kill the man in black because otherwise, you know, we, we all die, we all go to hell, and then it cuts to John Loki watching in the distance and then cut to Lost, right? Like, that's the equivalent of the raft taking off at the end of Exodus Part 1 and then it cutting to the, the, the black smoke at the end to really symbolize, yeah, things are hopeful at the moment, but there's still something looming on the horizon. I also find that interesting as well. We didn't speak about this aspect, but the whole Richard bellowing into the distance, right? Like, uh, does the offer still stand? I love how they do the panning out for that. And it turns out that, you know, the good thing Hurley showed up in time because, like, John Loki heard the call. He was hanging out. He was ready. Like, there was Richard was very soon to becoming uh, an agent of John Loki were it not for Hurley showing up. And so, you know, I, I think if we just ended on that and we don't necessarily need the epilogue of the incident part two, part two of these two guys mulling over the bottle of wine and smashing. It's a fun image, but I don't think it's ultimately needed. Yeah, I like it, though. I think uh, ultimately, uh, like, I, I think I, I think I love seeing like just like uh, that bottle of wine smashing as easily as the doctor's head. Uh, I think is, <laughs> is pretty good. All right. Let's- well, and I, and, I, and I think the image is evocative, right? Of like, uh, it's almost like the, 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 the lost equivalent of like, I'm not going to, you know, uh, I'm not going to change the wheel. I'm going to break it, right? Like, I'm not going to uncork the bottle. I'm just going to smash it then. If I can't pull this thing out, I'm going to try it some other way. All right. Let us throw it to our sponsors one last time. When we come back, we're going to rate the episode. We'll go through feedback. We'll do the MVPs and LVPs. So one last ad break and we shall close out ab eterno it is ryan here and i have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper 
a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there i can tell you about my favorite place to have fun chumba casino they have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week you can play for free anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses so join me in the fun sign up now at chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus hello it is ryan and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day couldn't we just to make up for things like sitting in traffic doing the dishes counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. All right, Mike. So for me, like I, I said it before, uh, in in rating this episode, I just don't really know how I'm not supposed to give this a four point two. Like there are a couple things here and there that, like, yeah, maybe like uh, like there could be some decisions that were made differently. Um, like maybe there are a few scenes in this that I don't love. Um, but like the stuff that really, 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 really super works really 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 super works uh and i and i think that like there is absolutely in my mind an element of like this episode is just so much better than so much else in the final season that it definitely i think like warrants that bump uh you know that i think like that's that's a part of it i when we get into the feedback people are going to be making their cases for this um for this episode uh and at least in one case uh the case that this is in in one instance that there's going to be a a real pitch for this is the best episode of lost so we'll be able to litigate that i like i have to stop pretty far short of this is the best episode of lost for me um but it's definitely in that very uh that you know that rarefied air of of episodes like it does what this show is supposed to do when it's at its best. It's supposed to make you feel shit. Uh, and it's supposed <laughs> to do that centered with like really, really great acting and great character work and great scenery and beautiful music. And all of those things are intact here. Um, Abiturno is a pretty easy 4.2 for me at the end of the day. Yeah, so I came in here with a 4.1 because I was like, okay, I usually 4.2 is a perfect episode of Lost where I don't have any gripes. And I would say that I don't love the beginning or the end. But this is one of the cases where my heart has to win out over my head here. I have to bump it up to a full 4.2. So because I think in my case, like, my head is winning out over my heart a little bit. But I, well, he- well, I hear our, what you Our bodies are in balance. I think <laughs> yeah. we've, like, Freaky Friday. Because yeah. you've, you've usually been Team Heart and I've been Team Head. Yep. And now we've just sort of reversed. We're like the Man in Black and Jacob. But this is an episode. I will not say it's one of the best. I will honestly say it's one of my favorites to watch. Uh, just because I am always astounded by... What is essentially the novella of Richard Alpert? Like, I can commend the show so much for essentially telling a story, a singular story over the course of this episode. And really, like, 
it, it's not necessarily a, a really fundamental episode to the core of the show. Like, if you cut out Abiturno, you don't really get any new stuff from it, especially if you watched Across the Sea. So from that thing, it kind of exists on its own, but it shows almost like the power in being a standalone episode and that it's not necessarily moored to any of the other stuff going on in season six for good or for bad. It really does take a moment to say, let's step away from this. Let's answer a question. Let's dedicate an entire episode to this one guy and do it in such a great way. That being said, what it does embrace mythology-wise in my opinion, might be some of the strongest mythological stuff it does in the series. Yeah. Like it's it's just from a storytelling perspective, comparing this to across the she the sea the she really shows the benefits of showing versus telling. Uh, this idea of like using metaphor, using implications to lead someone along through a character's eyes and really present these thematic ideals and, and following these warped expectations of characters versus sort of like literally holding their hands and walking them through all this weird stuff. Like I, I just feel like the way they handled a lot of the Jacob and man in black stuff is so, so fundamental to the series and especially the end game. And I feel like it's hand handled so well the macro ideas in such a micro perspective. It's just through one man's eyes, but it represents how these two guys treat basically every character yeah. on the show. So I think that's super cool. The performances are absolutely out of this world. It sucks that, you know, in general, they kind of frowned upon a lot of nominations in general for Lost in the Final Season. Matthew Fox gets one, T.O.Q. gets one, Michael Emerson gets one, but that's it. I would have loved like a a guest actor nomination for Nestor Carbonell or something just yeah, because he's a I hope series regular though. I know that's the tough thing as well. And this is also before the Emmys just really get, you know, uh fuddy duddy with the rules of what qualifies as a guest actor and what qualifies as a series, but he just I hope these clips just really invoke how incredible of a performance he's able to do especially given everything that he's done like he is able to spread those wings, spread those lovely lashes and fly. And he does so in style. So I almost give more credit to this episode, not only because it makes me feel something, but because my expectations were rock bottom and it soared in the air like a plane. Uh, and so I, I really have to give Abiturno the full 4.2. It is surprised me on the very first watch. It's something I immensely enjoy each and every time that I watch it. It is one of my, oddly enough, like my comfort episodes of Lost. And absolutely unapologetically high water mark of season six i do not think we're going to see an episode nearly as good until the end and some might argue this is even better than the end yeah um i don't know i think i i personally prefer the finale to this but i i totally get it um but these those are the two best episodes of the of the season it's it's really not close uh it's a it's a flat four from the listeners as we mentioned there was it goes as low as a three um but there's a lot of four point twos four point ones fours um so it gets a four from the audience average which puts it out to a four point twelve Oh, that is high. That yeah. might be top five, baby, at the end of the day. Um, I'm trying to think. It's certainly going to be higher than anything that you got in season five. Uh, mm -hmm. It is uh, not quite at the level of the constant. Uh, it is not going to... Is it going to be... Uh, does that go past the finale, maybe, uh, of season four? Uh, nope. 
uh, season four finale is higher than that. All right, so there's there's episodes that are higher than than Abiturno, but a four point twelve is still real high. Uh, yeah, it's, def- it's definitely going to be in the category of like walkabout and Deus Ex Machina of like non finale standalone episodes. Yes, um, it makes sense, uh, and I, I I I totally hear it. I totally feel it. I think a lot of it uh, a lot of it tracks, and I think that you've articulated a lot of uh, really strong reasons why people love this one so much we want to give uh some voice to the listeners to the hatchlings as well um this was from derek who had written in to make the case for abiturno as the best episode of lost this is what derek wrote derek says for me when i watch a show i invest heavily in the heart of the show while i appreciate mystery and suspense those are always secondary and in the case of abiturno i would argue that these intersect quite well First, what we get is, in my opinion, the best answer to a mystery from the show in finding out Richard's backstory. But on top of this answer, it drives us back towards the heart of the show and a character that really represents that in Richard. The heart of the show is a conversation of light versus dark and smack in the middle of that we have Richard. He flip-flops in the past and the present on this central conversation of light versus dark that the show presents. A lot of characters may be firmly in one camp, but to Richard, his intrinsic goal is figuring out what is right for him and the memory of his wife and the show wants that to be more of a conversation than the man in black is bad through richard we see it's not quite that simple richard cares most about honoring his wife he doesn't have a home to go back to or some alternate motive richard has been on the island longer than anyone besides the man in black and he may not see that the man in black is john Locke as fast as he should but he has no vested interest in deciphering that his entire time there, his wife Isabella drives him at his core, and he tries to keep her memory alive through his actions. This episode makes me feel, think, and feel some more in a very deep way, <laughs> and I love that. I think that's really articulated well by Derek. I love that. The think sandwich between two slices of feel. Yeah, yeah I mean, that, I think that goes back to my comments about the, the mythology. It really is as simple as taking this one guy pitting him against two sides and seeing how he figures himself out through that, I think is a really great way to do character study. You know, part of me thinks, could this have come at a different point in the, the, the franchise in the series so that we know more about Richard going into the final season, but I guess I'm, I'm happier to have it at all rather than sort to sort of quibble with where it would go in the chronology of things. Yeah. Um, I think it's nice. Um, so this does raise some questions about across the sea. Uh, Dave Baker had written in, does this episode render across the sea unnecessary? We talked that through, uh, maybe, maybe to a degree. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, certainly. Um, but then there's the question of, is this episode even necessary? Uh, this is brought our way by Andrew. Andrew writes in and says, while this episode has a great backstory and it's a very well done episode for Richard, I have to question whether we needed it. I have to wonder if the time would have been better f- better spent fleshing out what Claire has been up to for the past three years. You could have still incorporated Jacob and the Man in Black in that episode as well. Here's what I would say to to that. Because um, like I, I can feel a, a lot of that. And I certainly we've been talking about like, man, it would have been nice to like really like sort of bridge some of the gap with Claire. Uh, when you've got an episode like Recon or next week in yeah. the package and like we're going to spend like two minutes on like night vision goggle drama and like all that stupid nonsense. Like this isn't the one that I'm taking out of the mix for Claire. You know, like this isn't the one I'm taking out of the mix to like readjust some of the levels in in the final season. Um, I'm looking at a lot of like sideways targets, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. when when I'm trying, oh, like Stephen Fishback style. Uh huh. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so like that's what I'm looking at. I don't. I I like 
whether or not this is necessary. Is any of this show necessary? No. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, mandatory. No. Um, but like, I think it's, I think it's done so well that there are so many other, um, you know, places that like we could clean up some mess in order to make things more presentable and more palatable. And I don't know why we would look at Abiturno as the one, um, ultimately to, to make those adjustments. I agree. Like here, Here's the thing. I uh, I mean, listen, I don't disagree with with Andrew's point that, as I just mentioned, like if you're actually looking with how it maps onto the plot of season six, it really doesn't there. There's just sort of a, a detour. It's a nice character moment. But here's the thing. The plot of season six kind of sucks. And so it's like, all right, if I have to if I have to carve out more stuff to make room for more character slash plot of season six stuff, let me just cut some stuff off of like the bad part of the steak rather than trying to eschew like the really good cuts of meat. And that's the other thing as well is that Lost is fundamentally a character show. While, yes, it is not necessarily needed in the course of the big plot of everything to your point, if you're looking at the big board of season six and you're saying, okay, we have to squeeze a Claire episode in, but we have to cut out something else, I would much rather like butcher stuff from several episodes and cobble them together into one than cut Abiturno. Yeah, I don't think you can. Um, Connor had asked, I'm still confused on exactly how Isabella appears to Richard because the smoke monster appears seemingly at the same time and then kills her. Was this all Smokey pulling tricks on Richard? Um, I'm I'm pretty good with what you said that it's a dream uh, that I think like this is like uh, like vision inception, uh, which we've seen happen before, like with the the Mr. Echo John Locke dreams back in question mark. I think that this Mm -hmm. is of a piece with that. Um, Yeah. Yeah. No major issue there. Um. Eric Divestein, the birthday king, uh, says, why did the man in black tell Ricardo that he's the black smoke? Doesn't that make him seem less trustworthy? Eric, a rare moment where we totally agree. Uh, Also, but I think, though, I will disagree with Eric's second question that I think at least the intention is to make him seem more trustworthy. Right. It's like, listen, I'm cards up with you. I revealed that I was the black smoke. It's a bad move, but I, I could see some, albeit flawed logic behind the reveal. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I really think maybe he was just asleep at the switch. Uh, this is from, great from Joanne. Joanne's like, Jacob sucks, part 815. Regarding the doomed black rock, quote unquote, passengers, as he said, uh, Jacob said, I wanted them to help themselves. Why should I have to step in? Joanne says, you step in because they're slaves and literally chained to the ship. This is why you were mother's least favorite. Uh, <laughs> I'm only just one man. What could I do? You know what, uh, Joanne... I appreciate you calling that out. I take back the positive things I said about Jacob earlier. Uh, not all of them. He is a good fighter. <laughs> he's a really good fighter. Really good fighter. But he's still an idiot. Um, from Jim. Jim says, Jim Phils, uh, Jim says, one small detail that I really love but never noticed until someone pointed it out to me is when Richard buries his wife's cross near the man in black stone bench. There's a small branch slash tree right next to it. Cut to 100 plus years later. And this branch has turned into a huge tree. Um, love that. The passage of time beautiful um and then one final bit of feedback comes our way from andrew um uh after jacob touches richard uh shouldn't it be the blanket that is immortal and not richard uh because when the spooky music plays when jacob touches him he's actually touching richard's blanket (laughs) now this is interesting because we didn't talk about this we do not see richard become immortal 
is what Andrew putting forward what you're assuming that like when Jacob puts his hand on his shoulder and the blanket and says that I can do that he just did it or do you think there's an entire ceremony the bar mitzvah if you will that we didn't no, see I think it's the touch uh, you got the touch you got the power I'm pretty sure those are the Stan Bush rules that apply uh, to uh, to Jacob I mean we've seen him touch people before there's no ceremony right you know I suppose but I feel like this is a pretty big ask like uh, I feel like there's a difference between healing and granting someone immortality I don't know I'm not sure. I've yeah, never I mean, done this, it. This could also... Oh, you've never... Oh, mm-hmm. you must. It's I've, to die for, except you, not. No, the exact uh, opposite. Uh, no, I mean, this also might be like mother hand-wavy things, right? Like in Across the Sea when she said, I made it that you can never hurt each other. When? How? Why did she do that? I, I personally go with the logic that there is some sort of like off-screen thing where maybe he's not drinking the water exactly, but, like, maybe he's doing something. Though I think it is pretty hysterical if there isn't indeed, like, the, the spell gets screwed up and it's just an, uh, an immortal blanket that's been hanging out on Lost the entire time. Yeah. Um, that would be great. Immortal blankets for the win. Um, MVP, LVPs, Mike. Is it any surprise that we're gonna end up giving Richard some MVPs this week? No. I mean, he gets his groove back. He's able to stave off temptation with the man in black. And again, Nestor Carbonell, award-worthy performance, yeah, in my opinion. So, I like, I, I wish I had more points to give him, but I want to spread him around here. So, I, I got to start by giving him one yeah, here. Yeah, you've got three to give out this week. I've got two, and both of us are leading off with Richard Albert. I mean, understandably so. This is the the dudes episode. And to your point, you know, this will be another season six thing where he'll do some stuff next episode. But I feel like this is another case where, like, he'll kind of disappear for the rest of the season or at least not do anything extremely like this was this was, you know, not quite a curtain call on Richard Alpert. This is not a man behind the curtain call. Uh, It's not a rap on Rich, uh, but it is uh, it is a, a, you know, the important beat like this is like the big important deal with Richard Alpert. Yeah, so he won't get many other opportunities, so let's acknowledge him here. But we also got to acknowledge someone who played a small but incredibly important role in this episode. Yeah, I think we're each giving a point to Hurley, because I think Hurley not only is the conduit to allow Richard to get closure, but like you keep saying, I think it's also really fun and symbolic in retrospect to see Richard talk with Jacob and gain some faith again. And then for him to lose that faith and regain it by speaking to the man that's going to become Jacob's successor, yeah. right? Like it's right. It was right there in front of us the entire time, much like Hurley is that this is the dude that's going to be the leader of it all and become the new man in charge is that Richard is now coming back under the fold. Thanks to him. Yes. Uh, a point for Hurley from me as well, for all of these same reasons, this is a great Hurley is the leader uh, moment. Really, really, really love that final MVP point on the board. Mike goes to you. What do you want to do with it? I'm going to give it to Isabella. Cool. I I think that what she's able to do, albeit through Hurley, like she's able to bring that closure that he has been pining for for centuries at this point. I will also say uh, we didn't talk much about her, but Morelli Taylor does a really great job performing as well. Like I just feel the natural chemistry between her and Nestor, despite the fact that they never met each other before, you know, going on to set. I think that just a hallmark of a very good actress. And I think both the character and the performance are two things that make this episode absolutely magnificent. Yeah, totally, totally agreed. Um, some LVPs to hand out. Uh, I'll just do mine quick. I've got three. Uh, I the doctor with his like eggshell head, he's dead. 
He's gone. Dr. Egghead. It gives a new meaning to Egghead. Father Suarez is an Egghead. That dude sucks. Give him an LVP forever immortalized in this episode. You're an Egghead town, baby. Yeah, yolks on you. Yolks, yolks on you. Uh, and then Jonas Whitfield sucks as well. Uh, these are just like a bunch of like extraneous characters in this episode who all suck. Uh, very mm-hmm. happy to give an LVP point each of their ways. It's very much the cabin fever thing, right? Where every time we flashed to John Locke's life, he was dealing with a objectively bad person. Yeah. That sort of that sort of is the initial half of Abaterno. So I'll throw one onto Jonas Whitfield as well. I think he needs a little bit extra because not only is he, you know, a, a slave keeper, he also does then attempt to kill the slaves for fear that they would rise up in retribution should they be freed. Uh, and I'm going to give the other one. Let's continue the streak here. I think the smoke monster's got to get a demerit here. Uh, I think because he loses, he makes some pretty key mistakes here. Whether or not he's new to this game or not, he does lose out here in this situation. And uh, I think we gotta, much like we acknowledge when he gets the W's, I think we gotta acknowledge when he gets the L's as well. Yeah, I'm I'm good with that. I think Smoke Monster made a really bad tactical error in this episode. Um, that changes things a little bit. Uh, Smokey uh, goes down to four points overall for the final season. And so right now, Dr. Jack is actually holding the top spot. Uh, Look at this egghead. Uh, five MVP points for Jack. Uh, and with Hurley getting a, a double tap this week, he rises to meet the Smoke Monster. Uh, so Whoa! Hurley and the Smoke Monster are currently tied with four apiece. Wow. Okay. Things are getting a little competitive now. We have a horse race. Not to mention that, uh, you know, Sawyer is a little bit behind as well. Like there, there's, there are some competition things going on, though. I think unfortunately Sawyer has had his, his best days behind him. But yeah, honestly, this might come down to who ends up becoming the, the two intermediate protectors of the island for the rest of the season in Jack and Hurley by the end of it. Yeah. I think so. Um, so that's cool. We love that. Um, Mike, anything else on Abiturno you want to say? Uh, look at the clock. How how did we keep this one under three hours by like a good stretch? Do we need to just like hang out for another forty minutes? You know, I'm always be willing to, but I think no, I gotta uh, go eat a sandwich. I'm hungry. Yeah, I think our wives would make us yeah. ghosts by the end of it if we were on here for a while longer. I know. I mean. It, it's tough. You know, it is interesting that it's this ran for a little bit shorter, but like when episodes are really good, sometimes it's tough to talk about them because all you can really say is that works. And again, I, I'll just keep saying that I think this episode works in so many ways. Is my opinion a bit, you know, belayed by the fact that it is surrounded by less than episodes in episode in season six? Absolutely. Like this was absolutely uh, a port in me when, when the, the stormy ship was rocking, proverbially speaking, when I was watching this back in 2010 of like, I'm not sure if I like this. I don't know what's going on. I always had Abiturno to come back to. As I mentioned last time, this was an episode that I watched many, many times, uh, more times than your average lost episode. Cause I'm trying to remember. Uh, I believe that there, I think there's, there's maybe some sort of break that happens or maybe like a, a small number of days where I just watched abiturno a bunch more times because i was so hooked in by the story by the performances it is a really special episode to me that even the more you dig into it the more you're able to uncover of just how well written and and what it represents specifically in the grand scheme of the show i think it's a really smart episode i think it's a really risky episode but unlike a lot of the other risks that happened in season six the risks pay off here so it's also a bit of a symbol josh because you know, technically we're over the line, but this being episode nine of 18, 
technically the halfway point of season six. Oh my god, I can't believe it. We are uh, so close to the end of the line here. Uh, we got to celebrate with a present, uh, Mike. Perhaps even a package, which we shall unwrap. <laughs> Next All right, week. but listen, I hope you didn't get me some sort of confused Scotsman. I've already got three of those. All right, well, let me see if uh, if I didn't misplace the gift receipt somewhere. Uh, Shrekman <laughs> oh, returns next week. Oh, no, week. I, hope you, I hope you didn't use the bathroom while you had that receipt. Uh, Shrekman did you returns. Make them, did you make the mud pie, Josh? No, I don't want to talk about it. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, Desmond returns. The package is coming up next week. Uh, a Quan episode here. This will be the one where Sun forgets how to speak English. Uh, I think uh, maligned, maybe not undeservedly for that storyline. Um, but there's some great moments in it. I did watch it today. I- I'll still probably rate it relatively low, but there are a couple of scenes in there that'll certainly for me like put it above Recon. Um, but either way, we're going to be recording that one on November 10th. So get your feedback in by the 9th. November 9th, 2021 is when we need that feedback. The live watch is going to be at 8 p.m. Eastern on November 8th in the Post Show Recaps Patron Discord. You can sign up at the $5 level um, and uh, hang out in there with us in the Post Show Recaps Patron Discord. Go sign up at patreon.com slash Recaps if you want to watch next week's episode with Mike and myself. That's patreon.com slash recaps recaps uh mike anything else you want to plug uh so i plugged this last week but now it's real it's happening uh had the privilege of getting justin mcelroy to join liana and i on the rhap bnb at the time people are listening to this as josh has said a new survivor episode has aired uh we smashed the wine bottle proverbially speaking so maybe you don't want to go back and and watch it but i would highly suggest that you do justin is fantastic he's a a big source of comedy especially when it comes to survivor uh josh i think he says something that would be very close to your heart he calls all big brother viewers perverts oh my god i don't know that i would say that Josh, I know you co-sign it. Uh, no. 100%. No. You do, you do the this gif uh, pointing to that comment being made. No. But Justin was really great. He gave a lot of really fun takes on all the malarkey going on on Survivor this season. So be sure to check that out uh, as well as, you know, this upcoming B&B as well as the Bloom Files and some other stuff. I'm going to be uh, guessing on BoJack Horsepod this next week uh, to talk about Season 4, Episode 7. BoJack Horseman is a very special show to me as well in a very different way i talk about that over the course of the podcast and go on many many different tangents with of course kirsten and Lindsay. so yeah uh our usual mainstay podcast and many more zany ones to come but i know josh my goodness the engine is thrumming here on posha recaps and maybe going into a little bit of overdrive we have to go like get some more gas to keep this thing running there's so much going on we've got succession podcasts insecure curb your enthusiasm dexter new blood walking dead fear the walking dead walking dead world beyond there's lost down to the hatch there's hang in there the avatar the last airbender rewatch podcast there's the bloom files there's final fantasy uh there's worst day ever uh the wheel of time is coming up here pretty Ooh, soon. the a donkey new, wheel of time. New, the frozen donkey wheel of time. Uh, Amazon Prime fantasy epic based on the Robert Jordan novel series of the same name. Uh, we are launching podcast coverage of that this week. Myself and the great R. Philly, Rich Filiberto, uh, a.k.a. DM Philly. So that podcast, as you are listening to this, uh, is up. If you're in the main feed, if you are listening to this in the patron feed, it will be out on Friday. Um, so really, really exciting.
exciting times. It's just so much stuff. Uh, so a really, really busy time on PSR. Uh, another great reason to consider supporting the podcast if you can. These podcasts are not possible without the support of the patrons. Uh, and we can sure use that support right now. So consider it. Patreon.com slash post show recaps. We will be back next week with the package talking about the Quans, talking about the return of Kimmy. Uh, yeah! Uh, Mikhail is going to come back. Uh, it's gonna be Yeah, a- Mikhail went out with Sans eye patch, right? Uh, yeah, uh, he's got two eyes for most of the episode. Uh, so can't wait to get into all of that. It's going to be super fun. Until then, everybody, take care. Bye-bye. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.